kill you. Yeah, what's wrong with the beer we got? and gentlemen and welcome to another edition of Auntie Nanny. Uh, with me this night tonight is the wonderful and fabulous, very boring, who is still the only producer that I would ever trust to work with and also the only one who would work with me and, and not expect to get paid, I guess. <laughs> How are you tonight, Barry? Oh, I'm good. No chirruping yeah. noises on the connections. Uh, yeah. Built another mod. You know how it goes. <laughs> oh, bought a new hat as well. Yeah. See? See, things are going My, my old fedora well. got all faded and they don't do cold set dyes anymore. Uh, but the new one arrived. Oh, this will impress you, right? It okay. cost me £6 for the hat and £3 mm -hmm. for delivery for a 100% wool fedora. See? See, some things are still cheap in the world. You'll be unsurprised yeah. to learn it was made in China. You know, most things don't surprise me about being made in China. I kind of wonder if their hatters kind of look like Johnny Depp in Alice in Wonderland. Because they don't seem to be very big on the environmental protections over there. No. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, the... Yeah, the, the, the mercury fumes uh, for setting felt yeah and the like well actually the mercury's for getting the shiny satin finishes i think ah well uh also probably not the best thing to be inhaling and maybe no. something the auntie should be thinking about it is it is one thing that the aunts have said that they've discovered an e-cig vapor and you're like how hot were you burning that one up yeah mercury? The mercury might have conceivably come out of some of the metals or the plastics. Maybe. Because some plastics still use mercury in their processing. But uh -huh. it takes bloody high temperatures to get it to release because it's bonded into the structure, as it were. Mm -hmm. Unless they're using incredibly dodgy solder. That's another one that could have mercury. Yeah. Sure. But yeah, you're best not inhaling is... it. But it does yeah, take well... years to go insane as your brain shrinks. <laughs> The more you know. Okay. 
<laughs> Happy times. Okay. Um, so I guess one... <laughs> To get away from the happy subject of going insane from breathing mercury vapor, I thought we would talk about uh, the privacy lawsuit with Gmail. Um, see, it, plaintiffs have tried before to have a lawsuit go forward against Gmail uh, and Google for snooping on people's Gmail and the government threw those lawsuits out. So they came up with a new way of suing Google for scanning your emails which is kind of cool and kind of neat. So I'll just tell you a little bit about that. Um, thanks to a judge's order, Google must face another proposed class action lawsuit over its scanning Gmail. The issue is a lingering headache for the search giant, which has faced allegations for years now that scanning Gmail in order to create personalized ads violates U.S. wiretapping laws. In a 38-page order, uh, U.S. District Judge Lucy Coe rejected Google's argument that scanning takes place within the ordinary course of business. Not every practice that is routine or legitimate will fall within the scope of ordinary course of business, Judge Coe wrote. Coe noted, though, that while Google has to scan for other reasons like virus and spam prevention, the company didn't have to scan for advertising purposes. She noted that in April 2014, Google ceased intercepting, scanning, and analyzing for advertising purposes the contents of emails transmitted by via Google Apps for Education. According to Co, that shows that Google is able to provide Gmail, at least to some users, without scanning email for ad purposes. The order, published Friday and first reported by Courthouse News, was... This ruling means that Google won't be able to get the lawsuit, which was filed in September, thrown out in an early stage. However, the plaintiffs are a long way from seeing a payday. Google will likely fight hard to defend the way it has long run its Gmail service. The plaintiffs still have yet to pass key hurdles, including forming a class, which proved impossible in an earlier lawsuit. Coe's order reviews the history of those earlier privacy cases, the first of which was filed in 2010. They were filed in various districts and ultimately consolidated in Coe's court as Google Inc. Gmail litigation. While Google wasn't able to get the suit thrown out earlier, the individual plaintiffs all dismissed their cases with prejudice after they failed to form a class. In that case, Coe ruled that the question of whether the plaintiffs had provided consent to scan Gmail's needed individualized inquiries and couldn't be addressed as a class action. In the case Coe ruled on Friday, Matera versus Google, the plaintiffs are seeking to represent only users who do not use Gmail and have never had a Gmail account, but still have had their content of their emails scanned because they interacted with Gmail users. The plaintiffs in Matea say the scanning violates both the Federal Electronic Communications Privacy Act and the California State Privacy Law. So that's kind of interesting. Yeah, it's going to, it's, well, everybody knows this is going to probably drag on for decades because oh, well. um, yeah. oh, well. google keep trying to fight and get loopholes to get it kicked out the judges will have to look at that evidence rule mm -hmm. just like they have in this case yeah. unfortunately <laughs> unfortunately for google it looks like yeah yeah i bet they don't like judge co mm -hmm. who seems to know what she's doing <laughs> yeah which is unusual but kind of nice actually if you at all like your privacy which is kind of weird when you think about it how much privacy people just give away for, you know, convenience. 
Well, I mean, Gmail I've, I've got a Gmail really account, but it's not. Oh, me too. It's, I don't use it very much. Well, I mean, Gmail has a lot of decent features, so I can see why people would use it. And there's a lot of um, nonprofit organizations who use Google and stuff to do a lot of their work. So it really should make people feel uncomfortable. Their private correspondence is being scanned yeah. um, by more people than the NSA. So I don't know. Anyway, that's happening. Well, in the case of Google, at least it is completely automated systems. Mm, yeah. Well, you know, so is the NSA. And, and I saw something today from the, Google, the, the Google scan everything. There's, okay. they, don't, they don't even have staff looking at most of this stuff. It's only <laughs> if there's a problem they start looking at stuff. So NSA yeah. as well. Yeah. To put it, put it, put it uh, mildly. So... I actually no, no, the NSA, it's a couple of weeks after there's a problem. <laughs> they, they, they go, oh, yeah, that terrorist, oh, yeah, we're crap. monitoring him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, oh, crap, we probably should have done something months ago. Yeah. Um, I did see something today. It was an AP story, and I should probably go dig it up because I think people would actually be interested. But um, it was a reporter who had actually written stories with you know, the stuff that Edward Snowden had pulled out of the NSA. Yeah. And he is of the opinion that this new stuff that's out there, the leaks, mm -hmm. the NSA leaks, is actually from a second NSA leaker. And it was pretty interesting reading his reasonings why. Yeah. Um, well, it wouldn't surprise you know. me uh, because, mm -hmm. yeah, there's, it's... Some of the some of the hackers that work for the NSA will be a lot better at that kind of stuff than Snowden was, and will be able to cover their tracks a lot mm -hmm. better than he did. I don't know. But I did. I've got to say, I think that the um, the ransom was pretty freaking carelessly done. Yeah. Like I, I I've never seen I've never seen well done ransomware. Um that way you know what i mean yeah um put up for sale in broken english um what what's really going to be interesting is that uh, apparently wikileaks has purchased a copy of all that <laughs> yeah <laughs> so um i've got to say wikileaks is is doing some interesting stuff although i, I wish they had more staff reporters to tell people what they were looking at instead of just doing these massive data dumps. Because when they're doing these massive data dumps, people might not know that when they're picking through stuff, they're actually looking at stuff and and touching stuff that's actually you know, got malware attached well, to yeah, it. Yeah, I mean, the giant data dump thing, that's all Assange. He's like, no, um, we just must release everything. You're like, because well, right. uh, that's why a lot of people left WikiLeaks to set up mm -hmm. different privacy drops. Sure. Because Assange was obsessed with this. No, no, no. We release everything all at once. <laughs> right, no no editing, nothing. It's like, yeah. I understand not having secrecy, but a lot of people need guided through this stuff. Yeah. I'm not stupid, and I've sat and worked through a couple of the embassy dumps yeah. before. And it took me months to work my way through reading this stuff. I mean, you know, I've got a job and other things, but to 
have a reporter just break down key things would actually have made that a much easier process. And like I said, the, the last few dumps have had direct links to malware attached to them. Yeah. And if you have unscrupulous people out there just coming out oh, <laughs> and deploying it, I don't hold WikiLeaks responsible, but I, I, I do say I'll say this is my personal opinion. Way. No way would the NSA be deliberately putting malware in their data just in case somebody leaked it. <laughs> That's just I, my I opinion. I, I gotta tell you, I don't think that... Just covering NSA... myself for your laws <laughs> there. Yeah, <laughs> I don't think that uh, the NSA dumps when they come. Um... I don't think they're going to make much sense to anybody who isn't a hacker. No. Right. It, you know, you're going to sit there and look at files and be like, what the fuck? Yeah. If you're not um, used to looking at code and computer mm -hmm. code and stuff. Yeah. It's because it's, it's got all the notations and everything <laughs> in it. So yeah, it's going to be pointless to you, but yeah. there was also a researcher on Friday, actually a professor of computer sciences who was saying that just, just the few things he's seen are terrible. Yeah. Like, if this is the NSA's best, then they have a real problem. Yeah, because, I mean, it, there's there's bits that are code and everything in amongst the mm -hmm. dump, so, yeah. Yeah. That's it's, why it's so hard to navigate. It's because it is yeah. a raw data dump. So, yeah. No, it's, and it's, it's pretty terrible stuff. They're making mistakes that students don't make. Yeah. And yeah. if you're hiring the best of the best, that really shouldn't happen. But they're not. No. <laughs> we know that. I guess not. <laughs> yeah, I guess yeah, not. Because one of the good ones buggered off and is he still working in Russia, Snowden? Is he... Probably. That was out, outsourced. I mean, they outsource all the, the coding and everything, hence why yeah. you're getting these leaks. I mean, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and that's the thing. Once you take the government hollowed out and make a hollow man, you have people directly responsible for all of these projects that have no direct responsibility to the government, which is, it's, it, that was the worst thing Papa Bush ever did was start hollowing out the government. Well, I, I still say one of the funniest, there, yeah, one of the funniest things to watch on TV was uh, the good wife, the, mm -hmm. the hack, you know, the, the listening station, the NSA guys, some mm -hmm. hilarious episodes. You know, because basically, you know, they're listening in all these phone calls and they're treating it like a soap opera. <laughs> so, oh, oh, she's online again. And they're all sitting there listening, seeing what the phone call's about. Well, I mean, you would think it would kind of play out that way as episodic television. I mean, and we know that, you know, in, in that they sort of job, you'd see. have to do it that way. Otherwise, your brain would implode at some point. <laughs> I mean, we know just from the Snowden, Snowden talking about stuff that, you know, people were sending around naked pictures that people were sending of themselves as selfies and yeah. whatnot to other people just because I, I guess it's mind-numbing. I don't know. So, this Voyeurism. is it's, it, mm. it's creating professional voyeurs, as it were. Because yeah, that's what well. they're doing for a living. They're watching what other people are doing. It just sounds really boring. <laughs> it does. Well, pe I mean, people's day-to-day -day lives tend to be really boring. That's the thing. Yeah. So this is a story about pre-crime, and I thought it was interesting and sickening and disgusting all at once. 
Can we predict who will turn to crime? Minority Report computers may mark out children as likely criminals. Data analysis could help point out criminals at a young age. Is it possible to predict whether someone will commit a crime at some time in the future? It sounds like an idea from the 2002 movie Minority Report, but that's what statistical researcher Richard Burke from the University of Pennsylvania hopes to find out from work he's carried out this year in Norway. The Norwegian government collects massive amounts of data about its citizens and associates it with a single identification file. Burke hopes to crunch the data from the files of children and their parents to see if he can predict from the circumstances of their birth whether a child will commit a crime before their 18th birthday. The problem here is that newborn babies haven't done anything yet, and the possible outcome of Burke's experiment would be to pre-classify some children as likely criminals based on nothing more than the circumstances of their birth. This could be the first step in making a minority report reality <laughs> where people could be condemned for crimes they haven't yet even committed. Burke's work is based on machine learning. This involves data scientists designing algorithms that teach computers to identify patterns in large data sets. Once the computer can identify several patterns in it, it can apply its findings to predict outcomes, even from data sets it has never seen before. For example, the U.S. retail giant Target collected data about the shopping habits of its customers and used machine learning to predict what customers were likely to buy and when. But it got into hot water in 2012 when it accurately used its pregnancy prediction model to predict the pregnancy of a high school student in Minnesota. It's hardly surprising, given the potential use of machine learning to avoid crime, that the field of criminology has turned to machine learning in an attempt to predict human behavior. It has already been used, for example, to predict whether an offender is likely to commit another crime. The ability to use machine learning to form risk assessment in the criminal justice system has been a focus for Burke for a long time now. For example, earlier looked at whether a person on bail for alleged domestic violence offenses was likely to commit another offense before their next court date. Whether the algorithms used in machine learning can accurately predict human behavior is dependent on having as much contextual data as possible. Target used metadata from shopping routines. Burke, on the other hand, uses predictors specific to crime and demographics. This includes the number of prior arrests of a person, age of first arrest, type of crime or crimes committed, and number of prior convictions. It also includes prison, work performance, proximity to high crime neighborhoods, IQ, and gender. In some of the studies, Burke has used as many as 36 predictors. In each of Burke's experiments, the algorithm was able to predict quite accurately who would be a low-risk individual. For example, he identified 89% of those unlikely to commit domestic violence, 97% of inmates unlikely to commit serious misconduct in prison, and 99% of past offenders unlikely to commit homicide offense. The trouble, though, is that the algorithm was nowhere near as accurate in predicting who would be a high-risk individual. There are two ways of using the results of Burke's experiments. First, we could divert resources away from low-risk individuals. That might involve placing less onerous supervision conditions on domestic violence defendants who are at low risk of committing another offense. Alternatively, we could target more resources towards high-risk individuals. This might involve placing inmates at high risk of serious misconduct into higher security prisons. But there are two apparent issues with using data to target high-risk individuals. First, there has been relatively little success in predicting who actually does pose a risk, 
in comparison to predicting who does not pose a risk, a limitation that Burke himself concedes. Second, our criminal justice system is promised on the idea that people have free will and might make the choice not to commit a crime, even if they only do so at the last possible moment. A lot of the justice system's work already involves spending a good deal of time making educated guesses about whether someone is an unacceptable threat to public safety or poses a high risk of future danger. These assessments contribute to officials' decisions about whether to grant bail, whether to grant parole, and how harshly a person should be sentenced. Generally, though, such decisions are based primarily on past behaviors of a particular individual, not data about past behaviors of other individuals. Using predictive tools to decide whether or for how long someone should be in prison based on something that has not yet happened would represent a substantial philosophical shift. We would no longer consider people to be innocent until proven guilty, but would instead see them as guilty by reason of destiny. Yeah, I mean the whole the whole thing is insane because yeah, if you talk to computer scientists and read articles on it, machine learning is highly limited at the moment. It's, um, it's not. It's better than it used work. to be, but computer com- computing power is going to have to um, advance threefold at least right. before it starts getting decent enough right. to do the mass calculations needed. Sure, but it's not ethical. That's unethical. It's unethical to let a computer make a decision based on what other people have done and then base how you'll treat that person throughout their life on what a computer says. I mean, the, the the basic underlying ideas being used to design this sort of thing come from weather models. Benoit Mandelbrot, you might remember right. that guy, came up with some mm-hmm. interesting uh, algorithms. But it's, yeah, it's you know fractal algorithms. That's that's what machine learning kind of relies on. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and yeah, it's something designed to predict weather conditions, <laughs> basically. <laughs> and yeah, the maths has advanced a fair bit since the seventies. But yeah, it's I. St- it's you're basing it on how good was that guy's maths when he wrote the algorithm for doing this right but still even were the computing power more than sufficient even if the computer had enough brains i mean what i don't want to live in the society of minority report no no um I suffer from the belief that people are better than even I think they are. They have well, the ability to, yeah. Don't, don't worry, unless computers get a heck of a lot better at emotion, <laughs> <laughs> they just aren't going to work properly for this kind of thing. Because, as it said in the story, you know, somebody at the last minute could change their mind and not do a crime, or do the crime, sure. or do a completely different crime or make it worse, (laughs) make it better. People are not that predictable. No. We we are basically uh, an organic computer, but Mm -hmm. we're not based on binary logic. No, we're not. We're like a chaos system. Yes. Well, we're 
or what they call a uh, heuristic learning machine, a neural net, many mm -hmm. names for it. But yeah, it's okay. a giant interconnected, I mean, thousands of orders of magnitude more complex than the most complex computer chip. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Predicting no, I, how I... that's going to behave? Yeah, until actual computers <laughs> get as interconnected and quick at learning as a human brain, the computer's never going to be accurate. That doesn't Despite what this people... professor says. <laughs> well, right, but that doesn't stop people from trying. I mean, we're no. already using pre-crime here in, you know, suburbs and cities. There's places in California that use it. There's places in Michigan yeah. that use it. And they feed people's crime information, all that sort of data, what they've done in prison, what the regular prison population has done under certain circumstances, the person's IQ, their work history. And they feed all of this into a giant computer and the giant computer spits out whatever. And those recommendations are given to the patrol board. Yeah. Um, so we have problems with that already. Yeah, I mean, the, the court cases are going to be amazing in the future yeah. over this sort of thing. I'm surprised there haven't been really high-profile ones already. Because, yeah, yeah the, the police and institutions are leaving themselves open to gigantic lawsuits. Okay. I agree. Um, Alex is here. Yeah. You can uh, come in whenever Alex, you whenever you're ready. <laughs> yeah. We're much more informal than Skype used to be. You just drop yeah. in. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, so, yeah, I, I just, I think that sort of thing is going to be very interesting in the future. Yeah. Okay. Um, so whenever Alex wants to drop in, he can come on in. Um, all right. Um, I guess I could do a short story. Who wants to hear more fun things about Venezuela? <laughs> uh, uh, Alex is asking how he drops in. Very. Well, you should just uh, have to click on the Auntie Nanny on channel name. Yeah. Usual. Okay. We... There he is. Okay. Hi, Alex. Hi, Alex. <laughs> okay. Um, good evening and welcome to the CASA update for the week of 8-22-2016. How are you this evening, Alex? I'm home. You are home. Can you turn him up, Barry? Oh, am I too, am I too quiet? Um, I can hear you a little bit, but I don't... Okay, try talking again. Can you hear me now? I, I can hear you. Very. can you do anything about that? Try speaking now. I just actually turned my, my mic up a little bit, I think. Well, I've got it as high as I can set it. Okay. Um, uh, is this getting better? Uh, yeah. Check um, one. Check two. I, I can hear you. Kind of, yeah, I can, I can hear you. Go ahead. So you're home. 
That's I'm exciting. Home. Yep. Uh -huh. um, I was in uh, Dallas, Texas <clears throat> for the vape showcase. Okay. Um, How was that? That was good. Um, yeah, it was, it was, uh, it wasn't the zoo that I think everybody's been used to at uh, trade shows. Okay. But uh, uh, there was a good crowd on the consumer day. That's uh, good. Pretty, pretty light on the B2B day. Okay. Um, but we did have uh, a bit of a, a panel in the okay. evening. Uh, the vape showcase guys usually, I, 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 I guess the, it's them that provide the food uh, just to completely get off the vapor topic altogether. Uh, okay. vape, vape showcase typically has the best concession food nice. uh, and also the food in the evening for the dinner is usually very good as well. Um, okay. So <laughs> just figured I'd put that out there. Mm. Uh, very important to note. <laughs> um, but it was a good, good, it was a good discussion. Uh, ended up uh, with a, a Q and a uh, also, of course, during that um, panel, we were able to, uh, kind of break the news about the uh, um, FDA losing the lawsuit regarding the labeling yeah. changes. Yeah, that's pretty exciting, actually. Um, and yeah, so what that means for um, e-liquid producers is that uh, it, previously, previous to this lawsuit, um, you know, any change to your your label uh, would trigger a, a PMTA requirement. Right. Uh, but now, of just I haven't really studied the ruling or anything, but from the way that it was uh, discussed at this event, mm -hmm. um, and I did see that uh, I believe uh, Half Wheel has an article about it. Yeah. Um, that uh, um, as long as you don't change your your branding. Mm -hmm. uh, you're fine. You can change the artwork on your label. Um, and it doesn't that, make it a new tobacco product. And it does not make it a new tobacco product. However, if you offer your product in a 30 milliliter bottle and mm -hmm. that's pretty much it, but then you decide to offer it in 60, right now you're talking about a new tobacco product. So, ah. um, this strictly applies to the label, okay. not the quantity. Uh, but still, that's that's still very good news, I think, for for possibly people out there who are nervous or, you know, I mean, it's it's creative stuff. So, you mm -hmm. know, typically you're going to want to change that up at some point. Sure. Um, people may later find uh, with all the weird state laws that we might be encountering that, that maybe some of the artwork they have is, you know, will become considered inappropriate and then they right. want to change that. So, um, mm -hmm. this, this gives them a little bit more flexibility at least over the next two years, um, to, uh, make those changes without having to submit a PMTA specifically sure. for that. That makes sense. Um, so that is, you know, whether or not that's good enough news, it's certainly good news and, uh, happy to report that. Mm -hmm. Which is um, excellent news. Yeah. Didn't you, um, uh, something happen in court too uh oh not... with the with the um right to be smoke free and the fda 
kind of, yeah. Um, but didn't um, didn't somebody sue? Wow, oh, um, somebody good cat. Oh yeah, that's Indiana. Um, yes. The uh, I believe the temporary injunction was granted uh, in Indiana uh, for in in the the good cat case. Yeah. Um, now this at the at for the time being this applies only to good cat LLC, yes. but that that ruling can be used uh, in the appeal uh, mm -hmm. of the other case, the right to be smoke free case. So. That is also very good news uh, for, yeah. for Indiana. And yeah. I actually just, someone had just sent me a, an article from the Indiana Star before I came mm -hmm. on. I haven't had a chance to read it yet, but apparently right. the FBI is now getting involved with Indiana and uh, investigating lawmakers or, and other people who may have been um, involved in passing <laughs> this garbage law. So. Yeah. Um, yeah, Indiana, things are moving, and uh, that's that's certainly good news there. Yeah. Um, so, and the other, of course, lawsuit news was uh, FDA responded to uh, mm -hmm. the right to be slash Nicopure brief. Yeah. Um, it's a hundred hundred pages long. Uh, I have I started reading it on the plane, and uh, it is without a doubt yeah it, uh, it's it's a it's a very well organized collection of bullshit <laughs> um, it's it's very it, it's just it, it's hard to kind of like see through the red i mean i um yeah i i i wish i was more of a kind of lawyer minded person um or at least had a lot more understanding of what the response to something like that can be. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the FDA took a hundred pages. I, I am about 15 pages in. I'm trying to read it on my phone uh, on the it's, plane. No, it's not really conducive to that. I read about 20 pages and I couldn't, I mean, I'm, I'm continuing reading it, but that, that night, when the news first hit um, that they had responded, I started reading it and read about as much as I could. In fact, I even said to you, I, I got to go do something else. Yeah. I can't. It's, it's just not, um, it's not a happy little document. Put it that way. <laughs> no. So, yeah. But oddly enough, I look forward to sitting down with it over the next few days and then, and reading it and trying to understand. So, well, you, you like policy stuff and you're, you're good at it. You have a curiosity about it and, and like it. So this will be, this will be, uh, this will be interesting reading for you then. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what else to say. Yeah. Um, so yeah, there's that, uh, yeah. on, uh, a much more cheery note, um, mm -hmm. while, uh, we were in Texas, I can't exactly remember who brought it up, but I think somebody brought it up while we were on the panel. And okay. I can't believe that I didn't think of it myself, but they said, hey, <laughs> why don't you print out some of these pre-written letters to Senator Ron Johnson? And then, you know, people can do that. And I said, oh, mm -hmm. yeah, I can I can get to the FedEx in the morning and get that done. So I, I ran off a hundred copies and bought some envelopes and uh, got a hundred letters signed 
wow. five people at the convention and I just got to, I got to address all the letters or all the envelopes and mm-hmm. put the stamps on it. And I will mail those out um, hopefully in the next day or two. You should uh, probably, what would probably be easier is getting address labels made up just for Senator Johnson. I, I like the handwritten I, I know. element to it. And everybody, I, and I, I made sure to have everybody put their return address on it. So, um, yeah. and people were also, you know, kind of loosely instructed to, um, take some of the blank space and, and personalize it a little bit. Right. Um, so there's some nice personal notes in there and, oh, that's um, good. yeah, it's not just a dumb form letter. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we got that going. And, and of course, you know, the other thing is that I believe, uh, one of the YouTube reviewers, uh, twisted 420 stopped by our, our, uh, our booth and right. filled one out while he was there. So oh, nice. there is, there is hard video evidence of how easy it is <laughs> to complete this and i know a lot of shops out there uh, have done stuff like this in the past oh yeah uh, so this is a great thing to get done while mm-hmm. um senator johnson is back in the state of wisconsin these sure. are all being uh we're, you know people are encouraged to send these to his district office mm-hmm. uh, in milwaukee um of course you know september to october that'll probably change to um, his DC office, right. um, and hopefully, hopefully between now and then we see a, a you know an actual hearing. Mm-hmm. Uh, so anyway, uh, but that yeah. was good. We got we got a hundred of those filled out, and that also means that uh, uh, someone has to shave their head and their beard or trim their <laughs> beard. But, uh, there was there was there was an awful lot of sacrificing of facial hair this week really? as well. Yeah, apparently there were several people that did a kind of a Zapata fundraiser and oh. they, uh, they they promised to shave their beards if they raised a certain amount of money. So, okay. uh, oh, that's cool. Yep. That is excellent. Yeah, there was, there was, there was quite a bit of actual kind of uh, humiliation based fundraising. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's just, I, know. hey, you know, uh, whatever works. <laughs> Yeah, it's, these are desperate times. Yeah, they kind of are. Um, so I I did see the Amicus Curie that um, was done um, by uh, the vapors, well, not the vapors, the tobacco harm reduction people in the not just UK but. Um, by just a whole slew of people in in the united kingdom and beyond that was quite the the document it's just the i i i'm assuming this is what we might refer to as the clyde bates yeah okay yeah that was uh philip alkabees did it um i don't know if anybody's read any of philip alkabees stuff but he wrote a book called fear and it was about how the medical community peddles fear. Um, it really is quite the amicus curiae to read. Um, and I'll stick it down here in chat for those that are interested. It was very, very well done. I, yeah, I uh, thought it was very informative. Yeah, go ahead. Drop, drop me a link as well. I have not had time to okay. review okay. those. All right, I will get you that. It was, it was really well done. Um, so yeah. Um... Actually, I I was just reminded of another bit of news. If we're if 
we're done with the, the lawsuits. Yeah. Oh, sure. Um, yeah, yeah. Well, we uh, have officially updated Casa's website. Yeah. Um, long time in the making. Yeah. Uh, I've gone through several different tries at getting this done and finally just bit the bullet and um, Bruce Nye was a mm -hmm. fundamental part of getting that done, I believe. Oh, he was. Oh, um, yes. So yeah, this is, this is a pretty heavy lift. And mm -hmm. um, so uh, that being said, however, um, those who have been to our site in the past may have noticed that there's quite a bit of content on there. And, yeah. uh, you know, one of the things that we really wanted to do was to organize that better mm -hmm. and uh, make it a lot more user friendly. Um, sure. So, but in doing that, of course, you go back over your old content and you realize that there's a lot of stuff that you don't need anymore. There's some things that need to be reorganized. Yeah. Um, anybody who's done websites is probably laughing at me trying to articulate this, but um, broken I, links, I everything do, needs. Yeah fixing the visuals aren't quite right sometimes the buttons don't line up it's all kinds of fun stuff yeah so all that to say that you know we really we actually really want this out on august 9th um but that you know encountering some some delays uh, mm -hmm. but it is out now it's up and running uh and of course with all of that reorganizing and getting things to look and feel better um we've we've kind of broken some other things so um <laughs> please Please bear with us. Um, it, you know, it, it's it's a matter of going back through and 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 finding the, the little bits that need to be tweaked. And yeah. uh, you know, I, I suspect that um, first of all, Bruce is an absolute genius, and um, so doing a very excellent job on this. And uh, I suspect quickly we'll have all links will be where we have lots of things sort of out in the wild as well. So if you have like <laughs> old links to um call old calls to action um yeah. it's possible that they don't go there anymore i mean keep trying that's what we're trying to kind of fix is that all the stuff that's out there in the world continues to go where it needs to go yeah. um so that was that was something that actually started getting addressed today sure but uh <laughs> the new casa website is up and running and um so we can stop apologizing for it <laughs> tell you, i hand people the card and i was like yeah. <laughs> visit our website i'll just tell you right now it's a little bit it's a little bit difficult to deal with well um, actually i mean i think Kristen did that all by herself um mm -hmm. and and she did it she'd like two or three days to do it so she pulled together a, a miracle mm -hmm. but this looks so much better yeah and of course i mean over time i think different things got added to it and I'm i've sure. even had my fingers in the old website so mm -hmm. <clears throat> you know it uh but uh, but yeah, it, you know, it, it, it served its purpose and that was great. But uh, yeah. we're moving on now, so yeah, uh, happy happy to report that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Great stuff, and it looks beautiful. Uh, I'm I blown away by how well it looks, and and I kind of think, I mean, the testimonials are up here too, aren't they? I know there's a link to it, and there's actually a feed for the testimonials. Oh no, so, see. Yeah, you'll see like the top, like the most recent five or so. I don't know exactly how it works, but it's a yeah. Full, yeah. No, everything's together. Oh yeah. my God, everything's together. It's not scattered everywhere. It's so exciting. <laughs> <laughs> I'm dead serious. It is. And it looks so much better. You know, it's it's kind of nice knowing that the, the site actually has a little bit of professional shine on it now. 
know, it looks very clean and, and well put together and well thought out. And they did, everybody who was involved in this did a wonderful job. I'm thoroughly impressed. Yeah. Yeah. <sighs> that's, so, that's, that's actually excellent news. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Great news. Yeah. Um, and I was probably gonna, I was gonna wrap it up with a little bit of, uh, things to look forward to <clears throat> this week. Um, okay. I'm sure I'm going to miss a couple of things. Uh, I'm going to look forward to not traveling anywhere <laughs> for a little while. So just let me share that with everybody. That is, that is awesome. Um, I am home. I now through uh, September, uh, September 26th, I believe there is a rally in Harrisburg. Okay. Um, the, the no Pennsylvania e-cig tax or vapor tax rally. Um, and mm -hmm. uh, hopefully we will be getting some news about uh, a bill that will help fix that within the next few weeks. Right. Um, Pennsylvania legislature comes back into session, I believe, September 19th. Okay. So that should that is on the horizon. Um, another thing... Um, Oh, man, I forgot it. It was the thing that totally started this. Let's look forward. Um, Allegheny County. <clears throat> Allegheny County happened. The deadline to submit comments was today okay. by five o'clock Eastern. Um, okay. But uh, the good news about that is, um, I, I, I've said this before, is that getting active on this issue now is getting active on it on the ground floor. Sure. It's just being kicked around the Department of Health. Mm -hmm. So the next step after this is going to the full, you know, the county council. Mm -hmm. And so it starts in a committee in the county council and then it goes to the full county. So mm -hmm. you know, November, December, January, this this is, you know, we're getting in at the early stages of making this policy. So right. um, hopefully uh, you know that you know bill godshall has been engaged in um mm -hmm. i know that there was a, a a shop in in pittsburgh steel city vapors that was good about rallying people mm -hmm. and getting the word out um and uh so hopefully more people become aware of this threat and you know we'll certainly follow up and let people know when we can mm -hmm. uh but you know there will there will definitely need to be a show of I don't, I don't want to say force, but a, a show of <laughs> engagement on this issue. Mm -hmm. uh, apparently, there was a very weak turnout at the last hearing, um, yeah. and, and the media spent it as nobody cares, um, right. which is which is unfortunate. And you know, Pittsburgh is one of you know three major cities in Pennsylvania, and mm -hmm. um, you know, policymakers pay attention to what the big cities do. So. It would actually be nice to see the western side of the state reject mm -hmm. an indoor vaping ban, mm -hmm. unlike their um, weird cousin in Philadelphia. <laughs> Sorry, Philadelphia. <clears throat> that's, that's kind of funny. And the... Oh, God, what, what else was it? One of the questions that we've gotten uh, through email, on our page, through, through social media, and at the um, 
the, the panel discussion this weekend okay. was in regards to why isn't there one super group, one, 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 one advocacy group. And I, I kind of just want to put it out there and address it a little bit. And, sure. and, and it, it, it really came down to uh, people, I think, having a sort of a, a crisis of, of having to make a decision as to where they want to send their money. Mm -hmm. um, and first of all, there, there, there is not that there because of the products that we're talking about, because mm -hmm. we're, we're now tobacco, we arguably mm -hmm. have been viewed as tobacco for a while. Right. Um, and, and because of the, the, the way that these products work and, and helping people quit smoking, um, there has always been a need for that distinction between manufacturers, retailers, distributors versus a non-industry voice. Right. Consumers. Uh, mm -hmm. Because we can say things and we can represent these products in ways that, that industry cannot. Sure. Now, within the industry, you have many different groups. <laughs> there, there's sort of a landscape of, of groups here. And um, I, I, I'm a bit confused on, because I'm sort of on the inside, I'm a bit confused to why there would be such confusion. And um, it's just, I, I think the, the point that I really wanted to address was that we are all working towards the same goal. Mm -hmm. I mean, if it makes it any easier for anybody to kind of digest this, think of each of these advocacy groups as sort of departments within the same machine, if you will. Right. Um, we, we focus on different angles of this game mm -hmm. and uh, some, you know, are certainly more effective at the PR angle of things. Right. Uh, some are, are going to have a lot more time and skill. Their skill set is more towards um, uh, the lobbying angle of things. Mm -hmm. uh, of course, as CASA, we represent a, a perspective that the other groups have will have difficulty doing. Right. Um, and then, of course, we have you know some uh, an organization like Vapabet, which is truly the or the the community's only bona fide charity. Yeah. Um, and and actually, the Vapabet set up the uh, kind of advocacy donation portal, mm -hmm. where you are actually donating to the various organizations mm -hmm. through Vapabet, right. and it is a tax deductible donation. Mm -hmm. um, so, I guess immediately. I would recommend that any, anybody who has been donating to any of the organizations um, check that uh, VapaVet, what, ch check out what VapaVet has set up. Okay. Um, and, and that way everything is right in front of you. And of course, you know, you're doing it through a charity. So it's, uh, it's tax deductible yeah. as far as I understand it. Um, but I just kind of at least wanted to put that out there and that this has been brought up, uh, you know, it was brought up in person, you know, on a one to one question at the event. And I have heard people whispering about this for a while now. And I at least just wanted to kind of acknowledge it that, you know, we're not just you know, 
we're not blowing off this question and, and right. I, I I understand, you know, if I was not sitting where I am, I think if, if I was a new business in this space and someone said, you got to donate to advocacy, uh, well, who do I donate to? Well, you've got like half a dozen people that you can choose from. <laughs> I think, I, I think I'd be a little confused too. Sure. Um, so, uh, but I, I just at least want to put it out there so that people, you know, know that, that we are, we are conscious of this and sympathetic and, um, mm -hmm. You know, Casaw rarely asks anybody for money uh, if yeah. that helps your decision. It's not that we don't need it. It's just that, you know, we, we fundraise for very specific product projects. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, going forward, you, you can expect that to probably change. Um, it, that will most likely change uh, and soon. But um, mm -hmm. for now, you know, yeah, I'm not going to tell you where to spend your money, but. Uh, <laughs> right. Well, just, so you're saying you're saying. So you guys are never going to go on tour and put out a greatest hits album. I'm sorry. Um, there, no album. A super group. <laughs> Kidding. No album, but uh, there's certainly opportunities to be on the road for things, mm -hmm. um, and that's you know that that is something that uh, that's one of the reasons why you know my job exists yeah. uh, is so that you know I didn't have to worry about taking time off of work in case I needed to attend in district meetings or perhaps go to Washington, D.C., mm -hmm. or travel for other things. Um, so, uh, yeah, that's, and that's, that's, a, that's an effort that, uh, you know, something that we should expand. Um, well, <laughs> you know. Yeah, no, uh, maybe someday. Um, but, yeah. Well, someday soon. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. Um, so... Is that it for tonight, Alex, do you think? I think so. Okay. Um, of course, I'm sure at some point tomorrow, we'll, <laughs> you know, hit the panic button and have to start working on something and there'll be just more news and then we'll just talk about it again on Monday. All right. Thank you, Alex. And enjoy your time at home. And is your wife back yet? Yes. Oh, we'll see. Enjoy time at home with your wife sleeping in your own bed. Yeah. It'll That's got to be, gonna be awesome. great. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> thank you for everything you do for us, Alex. Yep. Thank you. Have a great night. All right. See you next week. Okay. See you then. Bye. Bye. <sighs> yeah. The new website is lovely. Um, yeah. we're, were we? <laughs> <laughs> Was the audio clear? <laughs> Um, I okay. think I think the reason why his audio is quiet is it's the first time he's probably used Discord on his home machine. So yeah, it's just getting the microphone set for the different software. Because yeah, a lot of the updates he's been doing the last few weeks, he's been on the road. So yeah, yeah, it's probably when you're when you're sitting it. in a quiet room at home, it's completely different. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> So yeah, but I, 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 yeah, you're able to add a hundred percent to the volume on Discord. So yeah. Okay. <laughs> well, that's that's good. Yeah, it sounds okay, as far as I can see. So yeah. Okay. Well, since we talked about it, I don't have to talk about the the case in. Yeah. 
Uh, who wants to talk about the Philippines again? Uh, Mr. Arguing with the with the Ban Ki-moon again. Yeah. Philippine president threatens to quit the UN over criticisms about killing drug suspects. President of the Philippines has threatened to quit the United Nations in response to criticism from the UN human rights officials over hundreds of extrajudicial killings of drug suspects that have occurred in the country since he took office. President Roberto Duarte, nicknamed the Punisher for his iron-fisted approach to drug-related crime during his tenure as mayor of the city of Davao, said during a late-night news conference on Saturday in his hometown that the Philippines could lead the UN and form a rival organization with China and other countries. Maybe we'll just have to decide to separate from the United Nations, Duarte reportedly said. If you're that rude son of a bitch, we'll just leave you. <laughs> I don't like Duarte, but I like this. The tirade was prompted by a statement released on Thursday by the Office of the UN High Commission for Human Rights that urged Duarte to end a wave of violence that began after he was elected in May. Duarte has said he would bestow medals on the killers of drug dealers, and he's also offered to award bounties to citizens who turn in drug suspects, dead or alive. Methamphetamine use has surged in the Philippines in recent years, and organized crime groups are involved in the trade, but human rights advocates have warned that vigilantes are likely killing innocent people and petty addicts along with dealers. Agnes Kalmand, the UN Special Rapporteur on Summary Executions, and Danius Juarez, the UN Special Rapporteur on the Right to Health, said in a joint statement that drug charges should be judged in a court of law, not by gunmen on the streets. Nuarte seemed to speak directly to Kalmand and Paras during his rant. I will prove to the world that you are a very stupid expert, he said, arguing that the number of drug dealers and users killed was less significant than the number of lives lost to drug-related crimes. He said that the UN rapporteurs should have approached him directly rather than issuing a press release. You do not just go out and give a shitting statement against a country, he said. Estimates for the number of drug-related extrajudicial killings under Duarte vary, but there is no disrupting the fact that the body count is high. The UN said 850 suspected criminals have been killed since Duarte was elected on May 10th, including 650 in just the last month and a half. A kill list maintained by the Inquirer, a local newspaper, put the confirmed body count at 731 since May 10th. Some reports put the tally at more than 900. Duarte attacked the UN for worrying about the bones of criminals piling up while wars rage in Syria and Iraq. You, now United Nations, if you can say one bad thing about me, I can give you ten about you, he said according to a translation provided by Reuters. I tell you, you're an institute. You are, are in... Wow, okay. Because if you're really true to your mandate, you should have stopped all the wars and all the killing. Asked about the possible fallout from his comments, Duarte reportedly replied, What is percussions? I don't... Repercussions. I don't give a shit about them. I'm sorry. I don't like the UN. I, I really don't like Duarte, but I, I do think it's funny that uh, someone thinks they should be left. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, he he's he's insane. Uh, <laughs> it's quite simple. <laughs> it's just interesting. It, it is. It's it'd interesting. be interesting to see what's going to happen with the really big organized crime Asian network. Hmm. 
Because, yeah, if he goes to war with the Tongs, for instance, it's going to get real messy in the Philippines. I mean, I just think, I don't know. Because they basically have their own army. If if he wants Mm -hmm. a war, he may end up with one. And he ain't going to like it. Well, I was just kind of thinking how him saying, you know, kill all the drug dealers you want is kind of like The Purge. Kind of like the film The Purge, so it's just it's interesting. You don't really hear about that happening elsewhere in the world. It probably does. I mean, you just don't hear about it. Yeah, he's got he's he's got some of the low level guys basically, uh, mm-hmm. but it's just going to escalate the situation. The I say the the bigger gangs does to use the uh, the old fashioned language. They're going to get tooled up and start fighting back. Well, How's he going to yeah. feel when they start? Because um, some of these gangs have a lot more money than the Philippines. What's he going to do when they start airstriking his house to get rid uh, of him? I mean, that, that's where it could escalate to at the end of the day. Uh, it's it yeah. it hasn't got that quite that bad other places, but uh, yeah, has he looked at Afghanistan? Uh, that's basically <laughs> well, run was run by the drug gangs. Mm-hmm. And then the CIA stepped in and protected them, but uh, yeah. that's none of my business. Uh, I mean, it is my business, but, you know, CIA mandate says I don't have any right to know about that, so well, I guess I don't know about that, right? <laughs> no, you'd never know about anything like that, or a yellow no. cake, or anything like that. <laughs> No, I'm completely sheltered, know nothing about the real world. <clears throat> so I think the government wants it. Um, yeah, no, I, do I think he's out of his fucking mind? I do. You just um, need to look at him when you see him on news reports. He, his eyes, uh, <laughs> I think, he, will, I th- I think he, he wants to take over the drug industry because he looks I, like he's on quite a bit. <laughs> he might, you know. Isn't that the perfect way to hide? Right in plain sight? Like you're the one delivering the country from them when you're actually the one who's delivering the drugs to them? I don't know. It might be that simple, actually. He might have actually done a deal with one of the big gangs. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I'll get rid of your competition for you. Yeah. yeah, You just don't, with these sort of things, you just don't know. Mm-hmm. And all the stuff is really just second and third hand. So hearing stuff like this is strange and bizarre as it is. Well, funnily um, enough, yeah, there's not a lot of reporters actually want to go and try and do stories at the minute. Because, yeah, they could I, get shot. I don't know why. The Philippines is a perfectly lovely place. Yeah, well. <laughs> Except for him. Um, but it's always been a kind of, um, shall we say, the violent crossroads of the Malaysian area. Uh, <laughs> yeah. You know, Although and you I, guys and I... still have Suva Bay, so that, that's the quiet bit. <laughs> Go and sit <laughs> on an American giant base. That... <laughs> yeah, you know, don't a, get a me bit, wrong. I bet none of the drug dealers in there have been killed yet. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I bet you're right. <laughs> okay. So we're laughing about drug dealers on American bases. Uh, I'm I'm absolutely sure. Drug dealers <laughs> uh, are everywhere. Doesn't I know where you are. I know. 
I'm just saying we're laughing about it because, you know, what, what the hell can you do to stop it? Okay, so uh, speaking of things you can't change, we have an election coming up, uh, and, yeah, we've got Shitlord 1 and Shitlord 2. <clears throat> I, I, I like some of the new artwork that has been appearing. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I don't know. This isn't in my notes. Um, did anybody happen to read anything today where uh, the FBI released two different sets of notes to the commission that's investigating Miss Hillary? I'm, I'm going to guess no. So uh, no, I'll I jump in. I haven't looked at the news today. So, yeah. <laughs> okay, I'll jump in there. So the head of the committee that's investigating Hillary Clinton for what she did with her emails um, said that they got two different sets of documents from the FBI. They asked them for one set that they said was almost completely redacted. And they said, okay, all right, so this is what my security level is. This is what, you know, this is what I can legally see. So you can, can you send us over another set of, of the materials that you've written down from the questioning that's like slightly less redacted. So they sent them another set of these papers from the questioning of Hillary Clinton. And they're claiming that the two sets of papers as you flip from page to page are completely different. That none of the content that's there matches or is the same. So, you know, that's pretty interesting stuff. Um, I don't know what it yeah, says. They're, they're, they've, they've messed up on the continuity. Yeah. Suck the guy who's in charge of continuity. Well, it just all looks very unusual. So, you know, not that anything will happen to her. Um, you know, things very rarely happen to the woman who gets to fly 20 minutes in a private jet to the Rockefeller estate. You know what I mean? That's just kind of the way it is. Okay. Well, it's the uh, Rockefellers. She probably had to pay for it. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> this is why they're rich, the Rockefellers. They don't, yeah. don't, don't let people get free stuff. No. No, but they'll put their money quietly behind what they expect to benefit them and theirs. Yeah. It'll happen to be, what, the 1% of the 1%? There's, like, the 1%, and then there's them. So, like, the Rockefellers, the Rothschilds, all of those sorts of people. They generally tend to back what will benefit them, and they're all backing her. Well, at, so least, I, at, least, at least one of the old guard of them popped his cogs recently, Duke of Westminster. Did he? Yeah. <laughs> richest richest um, property magnet in the UK. Well, he owns Westminster. You don't really need to say more than that. But yes, <laughs> really. he, 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 the, 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 old, the old Duke died, so we have a new young Duke. Hmm. Well, young. He's sort of 30s, I think. Oh, well, that's relatively young for families that tend to live as, as long as the super rich tend to live. Yeah. So we have a new, one, a new name on the rich list, <laughs> although it's the same name, Duke of Westminster. <laughs> ah, well, uh, so yay for the newest of the old guard? 
Okay. Well, I mean, when you own when you own all the land surrounding, you know, the British um, parliamentary <laughs> buildings, you know, I mean, yeah, you you've got a lot of money, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you do. Most expensive real estate in the world, and he owns it. <laughs> well, um, that's why the rich stay rich. I guess they own all the important land. Yep. Okay. So I was saying we have two shitlords up for election, <clears throat> which we do. Um, so this I thought was funny. It's about the Federal Election Commission. Um, they're unhappy with D's nuts. <laughs> Does anybody remember that from 2015? That was, that was a big thing, D's nuts for president. Anyway, um, in this somewhat insane presidential election, about the only non-terrifying entertainment that came out of it happened last summer, when public policy polling released a poll showing that these nuts would get 9% of the vote. The more web-savvy among you may know that these nuts was a popular web meme earlier in 2015, but it didn't quite explain how it got into the poll. It turned out that a 15-year-old kid named Bertie Olson had filled out the necessary paperwork under the name these nuts, and PPP had decided to toss it into their poll as a bit of fun. Uh... The attention paid to these nuts as a political candidate resulted in a bunch of other silly names filling out paperwork as well, including Butt Stuff, Mr. Not Sure, Sir Tippy Cup, and Young Trippers, a.k.a. The Goat, a.k.a. The Prophet, a.k.a. Earl. Of course, after that initial flurry of attention, most people mostly forgot about these nuts, the fake presidential candidate, until last week. You see, earlier this week, PPP released a new poll showing that the Green Party candidate, Jill Stein, was trailing bees nuts in Texas, also trailing Hambre, the dead gorilla, who is also now something of an internet meme. And just like that, it seemed the renewed attention may have killed this bit of fun. A day earlier, the Federal Election Commission announced it will start cracking down on bees nuts and other such candidates. It has now started to include a verification procedure for possibly false or fictitious names. It seems the FEC can't take a joke. The commission has authorized staff to send verification letters to filers listing fictional characters, obscene language, sexual references, celebrities, where there is no indication that the celebrity submitted the filing, animals, or similarly implausible entities as the name or contact information of the candidate or committee. And they're not kidding around. Part of the process of sending out these letters will remind filers that the FEC may pursue or refer action for false filing under 52 U.S.C. section 30109A or otherwise report such filings under 52 U.S.C. section 30107A9. So, yeah, so long, presidential candidate D's nuts. We hardly knew you. I think it's yeah, kind of I funny. Mean, yeah, you don't want to get uh, charged with election fraud, though. That's a long prison sentence, I believe. Well, yeah, but ultimately the people who probably should get prosecuted and, and you know, for fraud will never get it. But, no. you know, these poor souls that are just trying to have a little fun, well, and, you know. I mean, that, that that's one of the things. I mean, the UK, I mean, whenever there's election, loads... Mm -hmm. Loads of the constituencies have joke candidates. Mm -hmm. Actual people who show up. And, you know, the night of the vote, there's people 
you're looking at you're looking at the results come in and they're announcing the different candidates and how much votes she got <laughs> and there's people wearing all sorts of weird well, you know, you've got Vermin Supreme, but yeah. We've got like loads Vermin of them over Supreme. here. Yeah. I, I like mean, Vermin Supreme. Yeah. He says ponies are a human right. I mean we have the we've had the monster raving loony party for quite a while. Yeah, yeah but you actually Screaming had candidates get such. elected. Oh yeah. But you've actually had candidates get elected from that. I yeah. mean, the Pirate Party was supposed to be a joke at first as well. Yeah, they've got a couple of And MPs. look how well they've yeah. done. They're doing quite well in quite a lot of European countries. Mm-hmm. And that's simply because they don't believe in doing things the old way. Yeah. A lot of people don't. So, yeah. Um, so, Jill Stein is pulling at numbers below. A fictitious character. A fictitious yeah. character. And a gorilla who's dead. So that's not good. That's That really probably should tell you something about the difference between the Green Party in the UK and the Green Party here. Yeah, and yours is still an old type. Incredibly. I don't, even, I don't even know if you'd call it the old type. Have you ever, yeah. have you ever listened to Ms. Stein? I try to avoid listening to politicians wherever possible, I, I, to be fair. I try to, too, but um, I let me put it this way. Um, as far as I'm concerned, she... I've talked about seeing the movie Vaxxed and, and just vaccination injury, which we know actually happens to people. Yeah. And certain combinations, too much, too quickly, I think can be bad for a person. I don't disbelieve vaccines. Ms. Stein is a physician, is a physician who encourages people to avoid vaccination. Um, she's really quite out there. Yeah. She is very out oh, no, there. That, that, is, of... that is the, I mean, the UK Greens, they used to have a lot of those in, in, in there. It's only in the last five, six years they've got more sensible. Well, I just, I don't think that that's, I don't think that the party platform is healthy no. for people. That's, that's all I'm going to say. Um, in fact, I would say that a lot of what the American Green Party and Ms. Stein support would be bad for life on the planet in general. Oh yeah, so yeah, the ones I'll over just... here still have some of those policies as well. You're looking at it and going, "You really don't like people, do you?" <laughs> yeah, it's like you 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 want to kill all the Africans, don't you, with some of these policies? <laughs> well, I mean, no, oh. open, you know, should stop burning any fossil fuels. It's like uh, oh, well, three quarters of it's... the people in the world have to, or they freeze. Uh, well, yeah, and it's not just <laughs> don't burn any fossil fuels. I mean. For certain people on the planet, they have no choice but to burn dung or they will die. Yeah. And yeah. she's against that. Um, she, Huge she's... parts of Asia, all of Africa, most of South and, America. <laughs> and she yeah. wants to equalize everything, as great as that sounds. Yeah. And it sounds excellent. They are, they are basically an offshoot of extreme socialist. Uh, oh, they so, are. Yeah. Um, it, and very extreme. I mean, oh, yeah. it, right... There's Marxists, and then there's these fucking nuts. Okay? I don't really have a problem with Jill Stein as a person. I'm sure she's lovely. 
I think she is a great alternative to a Democrat who I think um, the only difference between Democrats and Republicans is how fast their knees hit the floor when the corporations come calling them. Okay, so I think she's actually a better alternative than that, but she's almost as bad as some of the people in the UN who are like, we need to get the world population down to 10,000 people. And I know everybody's heard those speeches being made. I have by people in the UN. Uh, they're they're scary fuckers. Uh, and Jill Stein is is that same sort of person. Still better than the Democrats or Republicans, but not by much. Um, you know, and the fact that she's polling at like three percent um, <laughs> really really gives me hope that uh, Americans, for well. Oh, their poor judgment are a little bit more awake than I give it. them credit for. The Greens over here didn't start becoming more sensible until they actually got a couple of people elected, at which point they went, oh, right. <laughs> okay, we've got to behave all adult now because, yeah, we, we'd actually, you know, we could make a difference potentially. So, well, yeah, a lot, of, a lot of their extreme policies in the UK got quietly nudged off. <laughs> I mean, and that's and that's the thing. The Green Party does actually have a chance to make a difference, right? But you've got to be sane to do that kind of shit first. Yeah. And, um, you know, I, I see the person that Jill Stein picked as her running me. Holy crap. I don't want to be a white person in America if Jill Stein gets elected president and her vice and gets assassinated. <laughs> and her vice president winds up in charge. That is all I'm saying. Um, yeah. And I'm, I'm looked, all for quality. You, I might later. You, you don't really need to. Um, you can As trust a question, me. A, an important question. Yes. Sure. Who's Vermin's running mate? I, I don't know, but it, it could be anybody. It could be a, <laughs> a, a rubber duck. I, I still, still Maybe like it's Vermin's Wellington. Yeah. You know, all about mandatory toothbrushing and zombie power and ponies are right in a pony-based economic system. He's a friendly fascist. Kidding. Yeah. I'm kidding, but he actually sounds better than a lot of the candidates sound to me. Yeah. Um, hey, Gary Johnson's freaking me out, too. Um, just some of the shit he's saying is just like, oh, my God, did you just say you would authorize the TTP? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Did you just say that you would give... You know, Rick Perry, a seat in your administration? Yeah. Oh, my God. Did you, you know, just I, say that oh. Hillary Clinton was a wonderful statesman? Yeah, I did. Really? You know, Wait, I, 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 have wrong. I understand you're an adult and you've got to say these things, but holy fuck, my head feels like it's going to explode. Go ahead. I, I, I have a theory. Okay. Tinfoil hot time. Okay, I just made it up <laughs> just now. But maybe when you put your name forward to be a candidate, Maybe this is where the CIA turn up in the middle of the night and inject them all with acid. Because, yeah, some of the statements <laughs> they make, you're going, uh, really? <laughs> it's it's just, I mean, it's mind-blowing to me. And they didn't it have is... to bother with Vermin, because he's probably doing it every day anyway. Um... <laughs> Vermin Supreme's been doing this for 20 years. Yeah. Vermin Supreme has kind of like always been there. It's just that now he looks better than ever. Uh <laughs> He's got exactly. the he's got he's got the beard to impress the Russians. Yeah. I like his hat. Yeah, his Wellington. Yeah. 
yes, it's it's a lovely hat. But I, I don't know. I don't I don't think anybody they've put forward is really impressive to me at no. all this year. So I, I keep telling people I'm going to vote for Lysander Spooner. It'll be <laughs> a right info and it won't mean fuck all, but I'll be able to sleep at night. Oh, have you seen the the final figures on the Labour leadership vote in the UK? Mm, no. Over 640,000 people are eligible to vote. Much to the disgust of the, the people trying to kick out Corbyn. Because, you know, you know um, about a quarter of those are all the new people that signed up to support Corbyn. <laughs> so, you know, yeah, the vote's probably going to be Unless Corbyn does something pretty spectacularly bad in the next couple right. few weeks, yeah, it's yeah insane. Um, I know I, I didn't plan to talk about election fraud because this this is something else I want to do in in a in a future kind of project. Yeah, because there's there's a lot of stuff to talk about on election fraud. Well, right, but I am going to tell people. If you're sitting up and agonizing about who you're going to vote for for president and how you're going to cast this vote and whether it's fair or whether it matters, I want you to go to blackboxvoting.org. There's a six-part series there I want you to sit there and read. Then I want you to watch the videos of blackbox.org. And then when you're done there, I want you to go to the website of Greg Palast. And I want you to read his investigative work that he's done there about fractional voting. And then I want you to tell me how much you feel that agonizing is worth it. Because although I do think your vote counts very much in local matters, I do not believe that your voice counts nearly as much as you give it credit for in the national election process. So I'm telling you, do not agonize about this stuff. Agonize about the stuff you can control close to home because that's where your vote is going to very much count. Yeah, that's I where mean, it's going to count the most. It's 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 the scaling thing, obviously. The larger the vote, mm-hmm. population-wise, yeah, the less your vote counts for. So... Well, this, that's, this that's why. That's why. Um, that's one reason why they have party systems and block voting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's, well, it's I mean, otherwise the... stuff doesn't get done when, when well, the population is mean, huge. Sure, but I mean, there's also redistricting. There's people purged from voter rolls that shouldn't be. There's dead people it's voting that shouldn't be. And stuff. Yes, yeah. and it's terrible. We we have not really addressed it. Not to mention the diebold computers yeah. that are in almost every state that gets accused of election fraud. These computers are still used. And the systems are easily hackable. A lot of really nefarious shit is going on. So, um, like I said, cast your vote. Cast it for the local things. Don't sweat so much about your vote for the presidency. Well, because I mean, it really is not good. At the end of the day, all you can do is vote with your conscience. That's mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. Simple as that. Unless you have, like you say, local, it's a bit different. 
because there local, might be local, local issues that need to be sorted. Yes, exactly. But when it comes to national, yeah, it's, it's all down to who you feel right, well, sorry, right enough about <laughs> voting for, basically. I, I, I'm just telling you, whatever you think you know about voting, what, I thought I knew how it worked. Like, I <laughs> knew when I, no, 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 I did. I knew how it worked. I'm not a stupid woman, right? I knew that you cast your vote. Your vote went to the Electoral College. The Electoral College tallied them up and was mandated to vote exactly the way you told it to vote. That is not the case. Nope. There are a bunch of ways and a bunch of cases that they're mandated to vote exactly the opposite from how you told them to vote. There are a bunch of ways, legal ways. Yeah. And then you also have, you know, Florida. Hey, we got Poppy Bush again because of Florida. Nobody wanted that fucker, but we got him again because of election fraud and electoral scaling and the decimal point voting that happens all over the country. But we got him because of Florida. So whatever you think you knew, you don't really know. And yeah, that <laughs> that's the happy news. You don't have to beat yourself up about who you vote for. You can vote for the person you feel less likely to turn the world into a ravaging dumpster fire before your very eyes. And you can be fine with that. Don't <laughs> let anybody talk you out of that. You know what I mean? I, I think that's really important to tell people. Okay. Yeah. Okay, so um, does anybody remember the the shooting that happened in Texas during the Drum Muhammad contest? Uh, Vaguely, really. I mean, it was a it was a while ago, right? I mean, this wasn't this wasn't last week. It wasn't last month. It was a couple of years ago. FBI agent goaded Garland shooter to tear up Texas, raising new alarms about the Bureau's methods. The revelation that an undercover FBI agent encouraged a would-be terrorist to tear up Texas shortly before he opened fire in a Draw Mohammed cartoon contest in Garland, Texas last year, raises new concerns about the FBI's counterterrorism efforts that were already under fire for manufacturing terrorism cases rather than halting them. According to an affidavit filed in a related case last week, Elliot Simpson, one of the two men, donned body armor and fired assault weapons before being shot dead by a Garland police officer, had been corresponding with an undercover FBI agent. And in a text message roughly a week before the attack, they discussed the cartoon contest. The agent had extorted Simpson to, quote, tear up Texas, end quote. The FBI in the affidavit explained the comment as an effort to continue their dialogue with the suspect. But testing the willingness of suspects to take certain steps in a conspiracy is one thing. Actively encouraging them to commit a violent criminal act is another. The FBI uses informants and undercover agents to pressure suspected ISIS sympathizers into committing acts of violence so that they can then be prosecuted. The Garland shooter case is the most striking illustration yet of dangers of the dangers of this approach, said Aran Karandi, a lecturer on terrorism studies at New York University. 
Essentially, it suggests that the government may be manufacturing the very threat it is supposed to be countering. The extensive role paid by the undercover agent was first reported by the Daily Beast. Through sting operations, um, those sting operations are generally seen as appropriate tool for initiating criminal organizations or conspiracies. Their use is more problematic in a contemporary terrorism case involving isolated individuals. In those cases, the concern is that the informant or undercover agent could plant the idea to actually conduct an attack in the mind of a suggestible or unstable person. These cases always have a lot of gray area, and there has always been a question about how far the FBI should go when they get involved in these sting operations, said Karen Greenberg, director of the Center on National Security at Fordham Law School. But you're, if you're going to target the potentially unstable, vulnerable individuals in undercover sting operations, you have to examine the potential consequences of having these types of discussions with them. The utility of the sting operations has changed in the era of the Islamic State, Greenberg said. Terrorist groups of the past, including Al-Qaeda, tended to have more concrete plots and mature conspirators. There are several factors which make it harder to control a situation with informants in such IS cases, including instability, vulnerability, and frequently the young age of most IS recruits, Greenberg said. Not only is there often a lack of specific plot in mind, there tends to be a real sense of suicidal thinking and self-hatred in their motivations that can make it more difficult to contain a situation. We don't know what happened in this case, but it's a real warning that the foreseeable consequences of our acts are now unknown, she adds. In one of the previous cases, is the FBI known to have actually actively encouraged violence nor dealt with anyone equipped and prepared to carry out an imminent violent act? Here, they seemingly did both. And, of course, FBI Director James Cormery, the man who lives in a fucking fairy tale, has said there are active investigations of suspected IS sympathizers going on in all 50 states. But little is known about the nature of the individuals held under suspicion or what methods the FBI is using to, quote-unquote, investigate them. I added the air quotes there. The New York Times reported that in June, since February 2015, two-thirds of terrorism prosecutions related to the IS have involved undercover operatives. And in recent years, a number of plots have materialized involving seemingly unstable individuals interacting with government informants. This January, a 25-year-old man with a history of psychiatric problems was arrested after attempting to attack an upstate New York bar with a machete with the assistance of a government informant who helped provide him with the machete. In October 2014, a former Army recruit was introduced to an FBI informant after being released from a mental institution. Months later, he was arrested for plotting to attack a military facility with a fake bomb provided by the informants. Although more than 100 alleged uh, specific IS state plots have been documented in the United States since 2014, it's unclear how many would have metastasized without the involvement of informants or undercover agents. Such cases nevertheless help in the public fear of terrorism and feed the misconception that terrorist sleeper cells are ubiquitous in the United States. The escalation of SBI, FBI tactics to actively encourage violent actors in these investigations would be a dangerous step. Most of the targets of prior terrorism investigations did not demonstrate any ability to prepare for an actual attack without the FBI providing their equipment, but the Garland shooters did. And had they been more competent in their assault, 
the results could have been one of the deadliest terrorist attacks in U.S. history, an attack that was actively encouraged by the FBI. That's not some bit of junk reporting. Glenn yeah. Greenwald wrote that. Well, yeah, I mean, police and security services around the world have been caught out doing this shit so many times. Well, in I the know, UK, but... there's some quite serious cases where it turned out that particular demonstrations where there'd been violence in the UK, right. it was an undercover policeman that organised to transport the people to the rally to cause the violence. <laughs> I mean, you know, I mean, if you know, insane. I mean, and I wish that were the worst of it. The further back you look in history to assassination attempts, to plots that involve multiple individuals killing people, yeah. um, you find a lot of government involvement. It is not. I said it. A couple of weeks ago, but I got cut off. Government is not something you trifle with. Government does not care about you. Um, government's goal is to get bigger and provide for itself. You're there as a means to provide that for them. Um, government is not eloquence. It is not beauty. It's fire. A dangerous servant and a fearful master. You you should always be wary of them. In everything. Always. Never make the mistake that they give a shit about you. When they can do stuff like that and get crazy people to go shoot up innocent people, you have a problem as a country. Yeah. And every country has the same problem. And it's, I don't know if it's because countries are so big that they need to invent reasons to be at war or what. But this stuff has been going on for a very long time. Although the problem. worst is back to our chap in the Philippines. Yeah, <laughs> yeah who's, who's he going who's he gonna call, call criminals next that he wants rid of? That's... That's the one you should always ask. I mean, and that's the thing, isn't it? It always starts out in increments. Um, yep. Here's a story you're not hearing about. When the Native Americans blocked off the oil companies from drilling, yeah, blocked them off from laying their pipeline this week, do you know what happened to them? Anybody nope. in this room know? Because I'm going to tell you. <laughs> they're on tribal land which they were given deed to mm -hmm. a time ago they're protesting on tribal land no you're not allowed to do this they had the FBI they had regular police they had state police come in and pull the protesters off the land which is their land so that the pipe could be laid they're yeah. going to press charges against these people for violating their first... I mean, they're, it's absolutely crazy what's going to happen to these people for protesting what's happening on their own land that they were deeded by our government a long, long time ago. So when you talk about Duarte and the things he's done and the things he said and the things that he's 
gotten people to do, right? And you say, well, who, who's the next criminal? You don't know. Yeah. It's some poor, innocent person who thinks they're doing something that's constitutionally protected, that they're doing things the right way, um, that nothing can happen to them because they're constitutionally protected. And the truth is that kind of no longer exists. George Carlin called it your bill of temporary privileges. Like there was no bill of rights. You had a bill of temporary privilege. And I see that happening to Americans and to people in other countries more and more and more. And it's like I said, I think as the economy goes further and further south, you're, you're going to see a lot more control like that yeah. on people in different places because um, the government is dangerous to its enemies that it goes to war with, but it's twice as dangerous to people in its own country that don't support it. It will criminalize you and it will turn you into its enemy to continue to do what it does. And that's, it's nothing is new under the sun. This has always happened. And it always happens when a country starts to lose economic control. They really crack down on the people. And uh, it's just interesting to me that that's not more well known or talked about by people because it's simply a fact. Yeah. It's not something I've made up. We can see it. History does this sort of thing to people. Um, <laughs> what is Trump going to do about the ocean? Will he build a wall there too? Well, I don't know. But, you know, traditionally, if Trump built a wall, his enemy would be his two enemies. His two biggest enemies would be Mr. Ladder and Mr. Shovel. And I haven't seen him wage a war against those yet. But uh, give him time. But it is a good point. Yeah, he's going to have to wage a war on Mr. Boat as well. Yeah. <laughs> yes, Mr. Boat, Mr. Feet. Mr. Catapult, Jetpack, Airplane. <laughs> uh. Yes, he's, he's going to have quite the war to wage. But, um, yeah. I had to get too philosophical. <clears throat> but I think these are things we all know that are true. I just don't really talk about them. I don't think you really talk about them, but anybody who studies history even badly can see these things playing out again and again and again. Oh, yeah. Okay. History is cyclical. It is. Well-known well his historian soundbite. <laughs> yeah. It all kind of turns. It's, it's just one big circle because there's nothing new under the sun. So I did want to talk about Venezuela again because... We could never have enough fun talking about that place. I think I'm not going to do the really big giant story because I just can't. But I think I'm going to read the bread story first. And then I will talk about the economic genius that uh, is behind the wonderful totalitarian state that Venezuela has become. <clears throat> Venezuela bans lines outside of bakeries that spread anxiety government claims lines are a result of political propaganda, not economic scarcity. The Venezuela government has announced it will be finding bakeries that make people stand in lines to buy bread. The National Superintendency of Fair Prices noted this measure. 
is intended to dismantle the strategy of generating anxiety in Venezuelans as lines are more of a political distinction than they are the reflection of a lack of raw materials. A spokesperson said they're evaluating various cost structures to make a price adjustment, though it did not specify which products will see their prices changed. The decision was reportedly made after inspecting at least 19,000 bakeries, um, 1,900 bakeries across the country. Shortages of food and medicine have recently, recently reached 80%, according to estimates by the firm Destanales. <clears throat> Venezuelans must stand in endless lines to obtain ever scarcer resources. However, President of the National Federation of Flour, Juan Crispero, said in an interview, there is not enough raw material to produce bread. The government must understand that bakeries are not wheat-producing plants and that the problem is in production, Crespo said. To supply the market, we need 120,000 tons of regular baker wheat, without even mentioning cookie wheat and hard wheat, he added. Nicola Marado had accused the private sector of promoting an economic war to destabilize his government and sabotage production. The business community denies these accusations and called on the government to provide greater access to foreign exchange admit a tight exchange control enforced since 2003. If, if, if it wasn't such a bad situation, yeah, the, the statement in there, you know, that, you know, Maduro has claimed they're trying to destabilize his government. It's Venezuela, you know, is not a destabilized government in how long? Yeah. Decades. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, well, I mean, they're, they're destabilizing us. It's like, uh, yeah, no, you're doing a good enough no. job of that yourself. Uh, he, he actually really is. Um, and like I, I've talked about before. I, yeah, I you're friends. not allowed to queue. Wow. No, you're not. Well, British people because... living there are just going to riot. They don't really have a choice, so I don't... But I, I've talked about this before. I've talked about having friends who live there, and, and you'll see photos. They'll be fo And you don't see so much of these outside of the country. But you will. You'll see photos, and there'll be pictures of three different shops because they have three different tax rates, right? And yeah. so you have full shops... They have tons of goods in them. You have the shop next door, which has two or three things in it, and the shop next door to that is empty. Each one of these shops opens every day because the government mandates that they are to be opened every day or the owners will go to prison. Um, and the poor guy who's got to sit in the empty shop probably can't even afford to buy comic books to read while he's in there. I'm sure he is bored out of his skull. Yeah. Although, you know, he probably sits there quietly hoping, hoping that nothing will happen to him. Because... Yeah, I'll get, I'll get arrested because I'm promoting anxiety. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So, and that's because they have tax rate A, tax rate B, and tax rate C. Now, tax rate A is the most favorable one that a business can get, and they can still afford to get goods in and sell them. And tax rate B is probably the shop that has about three things in it. And that's a little less generous for the people who own the shop. They can still afford some things, but not many. Um, but yeah, for, we, we, we know the actual problem is government L, and the L is for <laughs> lunatic. 
It gets better. The government's insane. It gets better. You and I have talked about before how you kind of need a mixed government to have yeah. a middle class, right? If, if you want to kill a society, you want to kill a government, you want to kill a nationality, you want to kill national unity, you hollow out the middle class and then you wipe them out by whatever means necessary. And um, <clears throat> Venezuela seems to be doing a very good job at uh, killing and hollowing out their middle class. I don't think people really know how bad it is there. And it's probably because people don't want to know. And, and you and I have talked about how the government has to kind of subsidize a little bit of stuff. Right, but you have to have a mixed system. You can't have all or nothing. Um, private entities still have to be able to make some sort of profit. The reason you can't get toilet paper, th paper there is because toilet paper is a human right in Venezuela. And they wanted it to be sold to people for much less than it cost to manufacture it so that everyone could afford it. Now, no one can afford it. It doesn't exist. And a lot of that is due to... A man who I cannot believe everyone is listening to. And the reason I can't believe they're listening to him is because I think I think there's a difference between free market capitalism, which we don't have, and this the sort of middle way that allows for a little bit of a subsidy of goods and services so that people can afford to have a decent life. And then there's a third way, which is, is Marxist socialism. And it's not even socialism, it's Marxism. It's plain out Marxism. So when we talk about Venezuela, we're actually talking about a system of Marxism. And I can tell you that. Uh, Spanish Marxist professor Alfredo Serrano is the man behind Venezuela's economic mess. I didn't write this. A friend who lives there. When I talk about Venezuela, I talk about it because people should be thinking about it. <clears throat> and we don't know about it because most of the stuff is dropped behind an iron curtain. For lack of a better term about the news that comes from there. The news that comes from the Americas to the Americas is harder to track down than you would think. And this, this appeared in one of their papers there. Manuardo places confidence in a Spanish Marxist professor he calls the Jesus Christ of the economy. The fact that the government continues to insist on 21st century socialism can be attributed to Alfredo Serrano. Uh, the main culprits of the most radical measures taken by the Venezuelan government come from the Spanish politician Alfredo Serrano Mencia. Mencilla according to the Spanish advisor to President Nicolas Moado, Deputy Carlos Valero. Valero told newspaper ABC in Spain that Serrano is the author of the latest and most radical economic measures undertaken by the Chavistas, who have only managed to impoverish the country. Exportations, the seizures of businesses, urban agriculture on balconies, the Soviet supply system, Forced unemployment in the public agriculture sector are all a result of Serrano's influence. Earlier this year, the paper El Nacionalo reported uh, Alfredo Serrano Mancia, the Spaniard who pulls the strings of the Venezuelan economy. 
The newspaper pointed out that the Podemos member is one of the most influential figures in Maduro's economic cabinet. The fact that the government continues to insist on economic model of socialism in the 21st century, despite the huge shortages and inflation, is entirely from him, the paper claimed. Who is Alfredo Serrano Mancia? Mencia is the last redoubt that the Spanish populist left keeps in Venezuela, according to ABC. He is the coordinator of the Center for Political and Social Studies, a Spanish anti-capitalist organization that provides political consulting. He has consulted for the governments of Spain, Venezuela, Ecuador, El Salvador, and Bolivia. All places doing a booming business, by the way, and with really happy people. CEPS is currently listed as an appendix of Padamos. Several of its leaders operate within the Spanish leftist party. Most notably, Podemos leader Pablo Iglesias and Ignio Erjón. Mencia studied economics in Barcelona, Spain, and Quebec, Canada. He arrived in Venezuela 10 years ago with a group of left Spanish teachers. Juan Carlos Madero, Pablo Iglesias, Luis Algeri, Roberto Vicano Pastor, who are attracted to the idealistic thought of Hugo Chavez. Mencia began a friendship with the Marxist political intelligista of Venezuela until meeting with the then planning minister, Ricardo Mendez, after which he began rubbing shoulders with even more important higher ups. In 2014, he presented the paper, The Economic Thought of Hugo Chavez for which President Nicolas Maduro praised him and introduced him to the elite of the regime. Mencia immediately became an advisor to Maduro. From there, Mencia became a kind of ideologue of Chavismo. He wrote speeches for President Maduro, including the most important ones presented to the National Assembly. Mencia, according to El Nacional, has solidified the idea that socialist economic models of the 21st century is unquestionable and that any failure is the result of attacks from the opposition. Clinging to the hope of an economic miracle to save his country, Maduro has placed his trust in a dark Spanish Marxist professor whom he calls the Jesus Christ of the economy, the Wall Street Journal recently reported. ABC noted Alfredo Serrano Mancia is the man behind Maduro's constant refusal to allow humanitarian aid into Venezuela. Serrano said he wanted to hide the crisis and not allow the entry of humanitarian aid. Even NGOs like Doctors Without Borders cannot act in Venezuela without asking permission from authorities. They keep calling it socialism there. That's not. That's Marxism. There's a difference. Yeah, I mean... um... Yeah, it tells you how smart your politician is, your president, when he can't see what's happening in his, in his country and can't link it to with what happened to just before the Soviet Union imploded. Because <laughs> yeah. that's what's happening. It's exactly the same thing, you know. Soviet Union started having huge shortages in certain areas and the government just couldn't react fast enough because they have these incredibly complex systems in place that's supposed to control everything but it means it can't react fast enough when there's some sort of crisis in one area 
And yeah, so exactly the same thing's going to happen in Venezuela as happened in the ex-Soviet Union. It's just going to collapse. Well, it's not just going to collapse, though. I mean, when I say friends there, I do have friends there, and they all say the same thing. They know things won't change until blood runs in the streets. Yeah. That's just sad. Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, when the USSR broke up, at least it wasn't actually that violent. Mainly because the army was mostly on the side of the people. Uh, mm-hmm. So when it came to people knocking down statues and taking mm-hmm. the taking control of you know official buildings, yeah, the army just stood back and went, on you go. Because, <laughs> yeah, they all had family members that were having problems, etc., etc. I don't sure. know exactly how it is in Venezuela, but I doubt it's that much different. Um, probably. Because it's probably. Most, most of these sort of uh, borderline countries, yeah, the most important guy in actuality is the senior generals. Yeah. I don't know. It's just not... It hasn't been going well there for a couple of years. And most of the people that I do know who live there, they only have the food that pretty much they grow. Um, they they have been able to walk out of the country since they've opened the borders to go and seek food. Oh, and, and as, a, as a note for people who may be voting very soon in, in your country, <laughs> yeah. the problems in Venezuela all started with Chavez, the previous guy, who got in or basically talking about how he's going to improve the country and make Venezuela great and... Does any of that sound familiar to anyone? Um, But, you know, making country great again is not the strangest rhetoric there is. It is the strangest reason for electing someone, but it's not the strangest rhetoric there is. It's reminiscent of things Hitler would say. Yeah. And I'm not comparing Trump to Hitler. I think Hitler had much better hair. He he doesn't mind that Um, anyway, so, yeah. I'm just saying I think Hitler had better hair and a nicer mustache. Um, But uh, also a a piece of scum. Um, I don't... I want you to know something. I don't blame people for realizing that this country has problems. Okay, That the white poor in this country have always been the white poor. Right? The people in the Appalachian Mountains, um, the people they call white trash, they've always called white trash. Um, Since before the Declaration of Independence was written, these people were an economic underclass. Okay, There, There are very few ways to lift yourself out of that economic shithole that these people are in. And they're despondent enough that Trump seems like a good idea to them. I understand that. Nobody wants to walk through life feeling hopeless, right? And and Trump, God knows why, is giving these people some hope. Well, yeah, again, Um, we're back to the cyclical history thing. Because you say, you know, any of the countries that have problems and have an underclass, a megalomaniac comes along, 
promises <laughs> them loads of stuff. Mm-hmm. And yeah, we can go on from there. Because, yeah, it's happened loads and loads and loads. Of I mean, Hitler is a fairly recent one. Um, yes. Right. I mean, it, it happens over and over and over again. And yeah. it's really hard to convince people that... It's hard to convince people that things are going to get better when they clearly are not going to get better. And it's hard to convince people that the government is not going to make things better when we're all vapors in this room, pretty much. Has the government made any part of your fucking life better? Because the government sure has not, sure has shit, has not made any part of my life better from the time I could work and pay taxes until now. And they certainly didn't make my education any better when I had to get all of it when I was beyond 35. You know, I graduated high school pretty intelligent because I went to a private high school. That's not the case for most people. So, there's that. Well, um, to say that the Democrats actively campaign against the white trash, I don't know that they do that. I mean, maybe they do, maybe they don't, but the Democrats are guilty of doing one thing to the underclass of this country, and it's the same thing they've always done. They put people on a reservation, they give them a stipend, and their only fucking job is to go to the polls and vote for these fuckers year after year. That That is the problem, in a nutshell. I don't know how you get past it. I think right now we're in the biggest economic experiment the world has ever seen. We have interest rates that are below zero. This has never happened for as long as this is happening now, before in our history. The central banks have never propped everything up as much as they have. And I think shit's going to hit the fan. It's all going to go under at some point. And I think that's the only way you can have real change. Yeah, I think I it mean, has to be a big shit sandwich that everybody has to take a bite out of whether they want to or not. The, the one the one thing I find intre- well, I find interesting for a while is, yeah, the world economy screwed. But oh, it's, yeah. it's how different places react to it. So the West's all been about austerity. Mm-hmm. Asian countries, obviously, when I say Asian countries, I really mean China. Has been mm-hmm. on about basically fiddling the numbers. Uh, All right. Mm-hmm. And then you've got India. I don't know if people have been paying attention. To India it gets kind of overlooked a lot, but right. they've got the same problems everybody else has. But the everybody guy, in, they just had a new guy put in charge of their central bank, okay. and he's worked for the IMF and stuff. Mm-hmm. And it, he, he, it stands out that the Indian central bank. Their priority has always been controlling interest rates so the cost of living remains stable. That's what they base their whole economic strategy on. Mm-hmm. Only country I know of doing that. Okay, they've got other. Much they've got more, other issues. <laughs> other, they've got other issues, you know, water, yeah. uh, sanitation, lots of other things, which mm-hmm. are way behind. But sure. at least they're controlling the economy in a decent way. I don't think the economy, I, when I talked about the brain earlier, right? 
And yeah. I said, we're essentially a system of chaos, right? Assigning a binary system to our brain is stupid because yeah. the brain is just a chaotic system. I think economics is like that too. I think you can't assign a reason to it. I think you can't assign a rhyme to it. I think it has its own ebbs and, and flows and it has its oh, yeah. own collapses and stuff. It's like every 31.5 years, there's some sort of bubble collapsing. This has been since the history of money. Okay, you can look far back to, you know, Greece, Rome, further than that. Any, when they had fiat money, when they took money and assigned a different value to it than gold or whatever, there has always been a collapse. Every, like, pi, it's almost like the number pi. That many years go by, boom. That many years go by, boom. That many years go by, boom. Something in the system has to fall. We're actually moving beyond that into something else. And I don't know what it is, but it's making everybody unequal in poorness everywhere. It's driving money up to the top like mad. It's money that's worth nothing. And I, I don't think you can actually control the ebbs and flows of, of economy. Because we've talked about this before. What is money yeah. is you. Adam Smith has talked about this. Um, brilliant man. If you can actually sit down and read Adam Smith's books, two books, you will learn a lot. They're not easy reads. Um, neither anything the government writes, but I read those too. I understand less of what the government says than I did what Adam Smith says. But you'll learn a lot about what actually drives an economy. The wealth of nations is its people's ability to work. Yeah. You you are essentially the money that drives the economy in your country. What well, changed... See, that, that's why I... I, I <laughs> it's the one thing India is doing right, as I say. Because, yeah, they're... The central bank there has decided we need to look after the people, yeah. not the corporations. <laughs> so, well, yeah, I mean, I'm... they're doing everything they can to keep the cost of living exactly the same, you know. I mean, rather than corporate profits being I, looking I, good. So, yeah. well, I agree. I mean, and I think to explain this a little bit more before everybody wants to kill themselves, what changed? was in the 80s and 90s when people started using computers. And the banker said, we have figured out a way to eliminate all risk from the system. Yeah. You cannot do that. Nope. You're, you're seeing insane values assigned to things that have nothing to do with their actual value because of that. And I'm done. <laughs> I'm done, by the way. I'm sorry. I like money. I talk money. We all get to learn about money here. It, was, it wasn't just that. It's also the, the, the newfangled roulette banking. That, that was the real kick in the teeth. Well, I mean, voting on... Not voting, but... Taking and placing a bet on a bet on a bet yeah. on a bet on a bet. It's fucking ridiculous, which is basically what the derivative market is. Yep. Okay. <clears throat> I said we were going to talk about these last two things. By God, I'm going to get through them. Okay. Arafield State Gang Database lists 42 people less than one year old. 
audit finds lack of oversight has diminished the system's crime-fighting value again. We're going back to systems that predict pre-crime. An internal database used by California police agencies chronicles some 150,000 suspected gang members. However, CalGang's database is so riddled with errors that its authenticity and its ability to help the authorities fight gang violence is now being questioned by its state's auditor. Consider that an audit of the crime-fighting database, which points to gang member-looking booking photographs, birth dates, races, genders, known address, tattoos, convictions, interactions with police, etc., listed 42 people under the age of one as suspected gang members. We found 42 individual members in CalGang who were supposedly younger than one year of age at the time of entry, 28 of whom were entered for admitting to being gang members how the state's top auditor wrote in a recent review of the database, which is administered by police agencies across all of California's 58 counties, <clears throat> according to how. Inadequate oversight contributed to the numbers incidents in which four user agencies we examined could not substantiate the validity of CalGang entries. Specifically, the agencies lacked adequate support for 13 out of 100 people who were reviewed in CalGang and for 131 of 563 of CalGang's criteria entries were reviewed. Although a person's CalGang record must be purged after five years unless updated with subsequent criteria, we found more than 600 people in CalGang whose purge dates extended beyond the five-year limit, many of which uh, many of which were more than 100 years in the future. Terrifying. The 109-page report found that the California police and agencies have wrong, wrongly used the database implemented in 1997 for employment screening purposes, and that it has also been used in court to help bolster support that a defendant was a gang member. The report found there was little to no oversight of the database, as well a fact that led to it being prone to errors. As a result, user agencies are tracking some people in CalGang without adequate justification, potentially violating their privacy rights. Further, by not reviewing system information as required, CalGang's governance and user agencies have diminished the system's crime-fighting value, how worked. The report noted that persons placed in the database can only remain there for five years unless new information surfaces. What's more, the database violates state law by not allowing parents of juveniles to contest a finding that their sons or daughters are being included in the database. Finally, user agencies have poorly implemented a 2014 state law requiring notifications before adding a juvenile to CalGang. Two agencies were reviewed did not provide juveniles and parents with enough information to reasonably contest a juvenile's gang designation, thereby denying many people their rights to contest a juvenile gang designation. The California report noted that gangs are responsible for half the violent crimes nationally. The report's analysis found that uh, the LAPD, Santa Ana Police Department, and Santa Clara and Sonoma County Sheriff's Department, Sonoma was the only agency to dispute its audit's finding. Bang on. I, I put an appropriate photograph in the uh, chat. <laughs> Did you? Yes. <laughs> it's just ridiculous. <clears throat> Yeah, damn those gangbangers, you know. They start preschool. <laughs> well, I like how they admit to it when they're one. Yeah. They're one. Goo -goo -goo -goo. He said he's a gang member. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I can tell because he was wearing blue, red. It's the way he, it's the way 
he he peed in that nappy. It, it, <laughs> it, it was a dead giveaway, you know. Well, I mean, it's almost as bad as what they're doing over there. Yeah. Where they're having the preschool teachers report on children in preschool who might have an extremist background. That's terrifying to me. Yeah. How the fuck do you know? Okay. Who owns the wind? We do, Wyoming says, and it's taxing those who use it. Not long after it became clear that the robust winds that blow down from the Rocky Mountain and across the Sea of Sagebush here could produce plenty of profit in a world that wants more renewable energy, some of the more expansive minds in the Wyoming legislature began entertaining a lofty question. Who owns all that wind? They concluded quickly and conveniently that Wyoming did. And with great efficiency, for a conservative state not traditionally tilted toward burdening the energy industry, they did something no other state has done before or since. They taxed it. In the four years since Wyoming began taxing power generated by wind turbines, it has collected a little less than $15 million in revenue. No, that's not much money in a resource state rocked by the simultaneous decline in the prices of coal, oil, and natural gas, a state trying to close a budget gap that could reach $500 million. But now, as one of the world's largest wind farms is about to begin construction here on a project aimed at providing clean energy to nearly a million homes in California and the Southwest, potentially transforming this fossil fuel state into a major player in the renewables, some powerful state lawmakers are looking to raise those taxes. And some in the wind industry, which has long benefited from incentives and subsidies, say they are worried. The company has spent nine years trying to build the wind project. Say higher taxes could further delay or even halt the plan. Just about every legislator we've met with asks us, you can tell us how much we can tax you before we put you out of business, said Bill Miller, chief executive of the Power Company of Wyoming, which is planning the wind farm. I just shake my head and say zero. He said the state was at risk of taxing this project out of existence. Miller and others note that the state, some states, other states, are offering incentives and that new technology is helping states with less wind glean more electricity from it. Wyoming, they say, is in no position to impose new taxes that can make it less competitive. In their view, the tax increase is more about politics. Wyoming lashed out at the clean energy as a payback for federal policy aimed at scaling back the coal industry on which the state has always relied. Supporters of the tax increase say the company's posturing that Wyoming's abundant winds are the renewable equivalent of its high-quality Powder River Basin coal. They point to studies showing that Wyoming could eventually provide half the wind power in the nation. They also emphasize it will it likely will not provide anywhere near the jobs and other benefits fossil fuels have. Fully built out of the project called the Chokecherry Enciadra Madre would create fewer than 150 jobs. They also say Wyoming doesn't necessarily need clean energy, much less the turbines that harness it. Giant towers would line the horizon for decades to come, altering the state's wide open more fundamental spaces more fundamentally than drilling rigs or even vast surface coal mines. The benefits of wind are disproportionate on the West Coast, and the costs of wind are disproportionate in Wyoming, and I mean the social costs, said Kale Case, a state senator and economist who serves on the legislature revenue committee. This kind of reflection of the impacts back here, I think it's just kind of a fair trade. 
California is indeed the primary market for the Chokecherry and Sierra Madre project, Miller said. California, which does not provide state tax incentives for wind, but also does not tax wind generation, has committed to producing half its electricity from renewables by 2030, with the bulk of that expected to come from wind and solar. Last year, turbines on the large wind facility provided 6% of the state's growth system power, according to the California Energy Commission. The Wyoming project included a major transmission line that would be built specifically to transport its energy to California and the Southwest. Miller said his company did not have a power purchase agreement in place with California or other locations, in part because of the uncertainty created by the potential tax increase. What a new tax might look like is unclear. The current code required wind farms to pay a dollar per megawatt hour produced. It has bought in about $4 million in annual revenue in the last few years. If the Chokecherry and Seattle Madre project is built to its 3,000 megawatt capacity, revenue could triple even under the existing tax. In May, the Joint Interim Revenue Tax Committee asked the legislative staff to draw two bills for them to consider at their meeting next month. One would raise production tax to an unspecified level. The other would try to get wind companies to pass on savings they receive from federal subsidies. The latter idea is especially frustrating for supporters of the project, but Miller may have helped inspire earlier this year when he said publicly that Chokecherry and Sierra Madre did not need the federal tax credit to be competitive. In an interview this week, Miller said he made that claim based on the presumption the tax scheme in Wyoming would not change. Thought we had a fixed set of rules, he said. And I could go on and on. I just don't care. <laughs> Who'd have thought, look, they're after money because they've got a huge <laughs> hole in their budget. Because yeah. they don't know how to budget. Well, they do know they have how to overspent budget, for years and then go, oh shit, that Revenue sources dried up. But, Oops. but they do know they do know how to budget. It's just that most of them have counted on tobacco tax, and so many people have a started vaping and b just gone fucking quit. So all the money that they were getting from the tax, oh, what are they called? The um, shit. They bundle them together. They sell them to other countries. They get money back from the tax bonds. It's not yeah. there anymore. Nope. So, you know, they're just all the way around kind of screwed. Well, I mean, that's the thing about these uh, these government, that, well, this particular type of government bond. They've been basically not really worthwhile for more than a decade now. Oh, sure. Before, before the, the crash. I mean... Mm -hmm. They're counting on ludicrous amounts of money being well, basically that's... thrown around for them. Uh, just you looked at the numbers and you went, "That's never going to happen." <laughs> sure. I mean, and to be quite honest, I mean, all this is crap. All of this is crap, and it, it's. The tobacco tax is taking a dump. People can't afford to go out, and they don't want to go out anymore because they're banned from smoking or vaping places. You know, what's the fun of going out and maybe having one beer, watching your friend's band play? There's no fun in that. There's no fun in going out and having a nice meal because you can't really have it more than one drink because they've criminalized that. They've criminalized everything and attached a dollar value to it. 
And people want to avoid that all the way around. And they're going to. I mean, this is just more proof of concept that everything they depend on, everything they've been able to tax, as people do less and less well, they have the ability to cut more and more of that out of their lives. And they will. And everybody suffers. Because, yeah. like you said, the government can't budget. They can't rein themselves in. They can't stop themselves from doing stupid shit. They couldn't stop themselves from taking my fucking Social Security money and building four goddamn camel statues in Saudi Arabia with it. You know, the government is out of control. All the way around. Although, All over the world. Like Linked, linked to the, the wind turbine thing. Did you see the report recently about Scotland? No. It's been kind of windy, uh, mm -hmm. and apparently, I think it was last month, they had the first day ever where the wind turbines in Scotland generated as much power, well, more than the power required <laughs> for Scotland that day. Wow. Yeah. We've got a lot of wind farms over here. Yeah. <laughs> also, yeah, we've only got population of five million, so... Yeah, but still, um, I mean, it's it's impressive still. Yeah, but yeah, but yeah, you look, you look at the numbers and you go, oh, one day, oh, really good, and it's like, oh, and it's not there's there's no storage on that. That's the <laughs> thing people forget about wind turbines. Mm -hmm. It only generates power when it's windy, so you mm -hmm. only get the power then. Unless you build a giant storage system. But nobody's come up with a decent giant storage system for huge quantities of electricity. Yeah. This is why in Scotland, we don't just have wind turbines. We've got giant hydroelectric systems as well, mm -hmm. um, which is your, your stored power. What they do is, when it's windy, and there's lots of power coming from the wind turbines, mm -hmm. they use the power from that to pump water back to the top. In the, in the hydroelectric systems. Mm -hmm. And then when so. it's not windy, you can use the hydro to. Because mm -hmm. it it's something amazing. It's like it only takes five seconds for them to ramp up some of these hydro generators. Wow. That'll produce as much power as you know a normal fossil fuel power station. And mm -hmm. it, it goes from producing nothing to full power in seconds. Wow. Gravity, wonderful thing. <laughs> Very <laughs> well, reliable mean, and everything. Yeah, so. But you've got a system that works. Yes. You don't. Yeah. Norway yeah. as well. Norway is the same as Scotland. Well, they Lots have of geothermal. wind turbines and hydroelectric. So yeah. But but they have geothermal there, and in correct me if I'm wrong, isn't it that in Norway because um, the the geothermal energy that is norway correct no not they've not got that much actually mm. it's mostly hydro and uh, wind same as scotland well, it was one of the countries has really good geothermal i guess i forget which one but it's so good that their people don't pay power bills that's iceland iceland i knew yeah. one of the one of the one of the scandinavian old yeah. north countries had it yeah iceland yeah. Yeah, yeah, funnily enough, because they have about 600 volcanoes. Uh, <laughs> it works well Plenty there. of free energy, yeah. 
I actually saw a document there well, about that they actually grow bananas um, yeah. indoors there because bananas are their favorite yeah. food, but they they it costs so much to buy them, you know, and import them yeah. from the banana republics around here that they just got cuttings and they built giant greenhouses and with the geothermal energy. That's yep. that's what they run these greenhouses with to keep it warm enough to grow this stuff. Yeah, but the renewable energy does work. Um, Norway is the fantastic example of that. Nor the Norwegian government have this giant slush fund of money, and it's because of renewable energy. Because <laughs> instead of um, instead of using all the oil, they've been digging out the ground in Norway. Mm. They've been selling it and keeping the money <laughs> in this giant fund because they don't need it for power stations and stuff. It's yeah. all the gas and oil. They, they just sell on the international markets. And it's put into this giant fund. And interestingly, because, as you know, the Scandinavian countries do politics different from everybody else, mm -hmm. a government can't just say, oh, we're going to spend that money on this. You, they're not allowed to do that. There's rules. Right. <laughs> so yeah. yeah, this money's been building up for you know ever yeah. since they started dr drilling oil out of the North Sea. Mm -hmm. But yeah, that's that's why Norway is one of these nice countries to live in. <laughs> <laughs> nice and you know, hard if, to. When the financial get crisis hit, they had this budget to fall back on. This yeah. giant slush fund of money. So yeah. yeah. And and I admire what Iceland did to their bankers. Oh, yeah. I just do. I just do. Tell me, bankers didn't deserve that. They did. Well, well, Scot um, Scotland was. I maintain Scotland was second on the treatment of bankers because you know what happened to Fred the Shred's house. No, but you're going to tell me. He was the he was the managing director of uh, RBS. Okay. He has a Big very bank. nice house in a very nice area of Edinburgh. Okay. Uh, you can find it quite easily. Uh, go in Morningside, and and look for the black space in Street View. Because <laughs> he 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 got Google to remove his house. Uh, because nice. yeah yeah, when the crash happened, yeah, his car got vandalized. The windows in his house were broken. <laughs> he was getting. You know, death threats posted through his oh. letterbox. Uh, Poor darling. He, he went to live in Spain for a little while. Let's put it that way. <laughs> you know, some so people just Scotland was kind of second, or harshest on bankers. Yeah. People don't get what they. Oh no 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 no! South Korea, South well, Korea took and hung a bunch of theirs. Well, yeah. So you know. But then that's because that that's. What That's what you get for fraud in their country. So yeah. Yeah. Oh well, yeah. But still. But I mean, for a West Western nation, Scot Scotland, uh, yeah, <laughs> we basically hounded a guy out of the country. <laughs> well, because I mean, yeah, but he was he probably would have got killed if he'd hung around. Uh, yeah. Don't yeah. know where he is now. Well, uh, if he's smart, he's living under an assumed name somewhere. Well, I mean, you you know this, what happened with RBS. I mean, it yeah, was the biggest catastrophe in the UK, and it was his fault. And that's it. 
it was, it was a case of the public knew exactly whose fault it was. It was like, <laughs> it's that guy. It's the... <laughs> and loads of people were like, we know where he lives. <laughs> yeah. And the sad part is most people don't have that ability to yeah. track down the assholes who did that shit to them. What's well, it? He was, he, he was cocky and appeared on press conferences and in the media quite often. Yeah, <laughs> but he's regretting that now. Yeah. Well, dumbass. okay, it probably isn't because he's a multi—he's a billionaire. Uh, well, he's—I'm sure he's crying his little head off into his trillions that he lines his bed with. Yeah, because you know. But that was the funny one when 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 he started getting threats and stuff like that. He asked Google to take his house off Street View. So if you went on Street View, you knew which house was his because you went along and there's this bear patch. And you're like, oh, that'll be where it is then. <laughs> I mean, there's actually a lot of <clears throat> weird things in, in Google Street View. There's, yeah. um, there's like entire places that just look like they shouldn't look. Yeah. And that's kind of the funny thing. I mean, you see a lot of things. You don't see everything. And yeah, I don't know. It's just. It's all kind of weird stuff that happens. I don't know, Very. Do you feel like feel like we're done this evening? Yeah, it's up to you, isn't it? Yeah. Got I thirty-four think we... minutes left. If you <laughs> got thirty-four minutes left. All right. Um. Let's see, you know, it's freaky that that professor I was talking about looks like Dave Grohl from the Foo Fighters. Well. Kind of, not exactly, but kind of. slightly different hairstyle, but very. Yeah, slight, I know what you mean about he, the face and the it. beard. Yes. Yeah, he does. It's just freaky. But he's he's, okay. a, he's a weirdy Marxist, so yeah, his hair's incredibly disheveled. Yes. <laughs> probably doesn't own. Probably thinks a, a comb's too capitalist. Uh, <laughs> I'll just use my fingers. Yeah. That's good enough. Okay. Um. Okay. Why are we still wasting billions on Homeland Security projects that don't make us safer? That seems like a good one. An article in The Atlantic on post-9-11 America makes a powerful case that the never-again approach to Homeland Security is good politics but lousy policy. The turbulent months after the 9-11 attacks were notable for something that did not happen. Even though Al-Qaeda had killed thousands of people and scored a direct hit on the Pentagon, hardly anyone, neither political party, blamed the Bush administration for failing to defend the homeland. In the burst of patriotism that followed the assaults, President Bush and his aides essentially <laughs> got a free pass from the voting public. This consensus held even after it emerged that the government officials had fumbled numerous clues that might have prevented the attacks. The Central Intelligence Agency knew two Al-Qaeda operatives had entered the U.S. in 2000, never told the Federal Bureau of Investigation, no one tracked their movements and phone calls, a notable lapse since both men ended up among the 19 hijackers. Voters had no problem re-electing a president who did nothing after receiving an intelligence briefing weeks before 9-11. Headlined, Bin Laden, Bin Laden determined to strike in the U.S. In his September cover story for The Atlantic, Stephen Brill recounts how the political lessons of those early years evolved into an approach he succinctly summarizes as never again. Politicians and government bureaucrats understood that the public would not forgive a second devastating strike. For the administrations of both 
President Bush and President Obama never again has meant saying yes to any initiative that could be sold as plausible protection against a future attack. The never again approach has remained in place even as those who commit acts of terrorism have shifted in recent years to take advantage of the lethal possibilities of the ever more connected world. Certainly some of the government programs created to address vulnerabilities exposed by the 9-11 attacks were long overdue. The U.S. needed a much better system for screening air travelers, one that did not allow people to board airplanes with lethal weapons in hand, and it made sense to harden New York's underway, underwater subway tunnels to limit the damage a bomb could do to both passengers and the city's infrastructure. But for every valid effort, it seems like the terrorism industrial complex came up with an array of boondoggles that were profitable for the companies involved, but added little to the security of ordinary Americans. The upwards of $47 billion spent on FirstNet, the troubled effort to make sure firefighters and police could talk to each other in an emergency, staggers the imagination. Altogether, Brill calculates, the government has spent $100 to $150 billion on equipment and programs that do not work. What might have been accomplished if all that money had been spent on, say, reducing the cost of a college education for the poor and middle-class kids? Never again might have made some sense when the, Amer the enemy America faced, Al-Qaeda, put all of its effort into planning terrorism spectaculars, like the simultaneous attacks on the two American embassies or the destruction of the Twin Towers. The international logistics and footprints required for such operations gave intelligent and law enforcement, enforcement officials something to detect. Unfortunately, as Brill points out, the nature of terrorism has evolved over the past 15 years. Much as a virus changes shape in reaction to mankind's disease-fighting efforts, the threat posed by IS relies to a much greater extent on tools of the networked world. A generation ago, young militants frequently traveled to war zones like Afghanistan, Iraq, or Bosnia, where they were radicalized by what they saw. Europeans still make that journey to Syria, but the new face of terrorism in the United States looks more like Saeed, or, sorry, Saeed Farouk and Tashin Malik, the young couple who shot 14 people at the San Bernardino County Department of Public Health. Using a little more than the internet, IS has disturbed people around the world to take up kitchen knives, axes, and trucks as weapons in service of jihad. In many of these cases, the group had no direct contact with the attackers. For journalists and policymakers who followed Al-Qaeda at its peak, it is impossible to imagine Islam, uh, Osama bin Laden approving an Al-Qaeda operation of such modest dimensions. Yet IS seems to understand the new possibilities created by social media and the spate of attacks by self-radicalized jihadis has stirred deep, disproportionate fears among many American voters. It is no coincidence that Donald Trump's core support comes from voters who fear their security. The fact that between 40 and 50 percent of surveyed U.S. voters agree with his call for temporary ban on Muslim immigrants is a testament to how effectively IS has gotten inside the heads of Americans. Religiously motivated violence is seen as far more threatening than mass shootings that punctuate American life, as James Comrie, the FBI director, pointed out to Brill in this story. That the San Bernardino shooters were declared supporters of IS generates anxiety that another shooting incident where the shooter isn't a terrorist doesn't. That may be irrational, but it's real, Comrie said. In his article, Brill makes a prediction that Americans are highly unlikely to hear from either Trump or Hillary Clinton. Despite our best efforts, 
terror is designed to become, yes, routine. A three or four times a year headline event, perhaps almost as routine in this country as people with mental health problems buying a semi-automatic and going hunting at a school or movie theater. If that's true, does the mounting tempo of terror attacks in Europe and the United States suggest it might be? Then the unfocused spending of government money guided by the politics of never again is something the country can ill afford. Searching for potential new lone wolves among massive populations is a problem of intelligence gathering, not technology. It's unclear how to detect and deter such an elusive threat, but the answer is surely not better radios or bigger fire trucks. So what to do? One answer would be to focus the government's anti-terror efforts through better congressional oversight, but there seems to be little chance of that happening. With 119 committees or subcommittees overseeing the Department of Homeland Security, it's hard to imagine how anything resembling coherence could emerge. As Bull noted, while not a single member or staffer would defend the current system, everyone I talked with seemed to accept their own bipartisan failure to act as an immovable fact of life. In the absence of rigorous oversight, some key long-standing security weaknesses are being overlooked. In fact, in 1999 and 2000, I worked with two New York Times reporters, Judith Miller and Bill Brode, to write a book on the dangers post posed by biological warfare. In a bizarre coincidence, germs hit the star on September, 20, September 10, 2001, just a few weeks before the anthrax letters began making their way through the U.S. postal system. We researched the book at the time of rising anxiety about the possibility that terrorists, specifically bin Laden, could attack Americans with germ weapons. There were many reasons to worry. Russian scientists had come forward to reveal the extraordinary prowess of the U.S., the Soviet Union's research into biological weapons. U.S. officials had confirmed that relatively low-skilled people could make dangerous quantities of anthrax easily using available equipment. One essential item the U.S. lacked was a reliable device that could detect a germ attack as it was unfolding. This is a trickier technological challenge than it might seem. The air was filled with all matter of viruses and bacteria. Shortly after 9-11, the government rushed out a program called BioWatch, in which sensors were placed in various cities. I moved on to other assignments and did not keep track of how this particular counterterrorism program turned out. Bill followed up, and what he found is disturbing. Despite all the billions of dollars wasted on homeland defense, no one ever figured out how to detect biotechs. BioWatch was, was obsolete the day it was put into use, produced 114, 149 false positives by 2014, none of which were linked to an attack or public health threat. The DHS Undersecretary for Science and Technology told Congress that the agency hopes to have a working system in place within three to eight years. That's preposterous. In his interviews with Brill, President Obama seemed to yearn for the end of politics of never again fact is that Americans are far more likely to be injured or killed by gun violence than a terrorist attack, the president said. As Brill's piece began to make clear, the more rational conversation about this issue would have to begin with a radical shift in the politics of terrorism. Far nothing in the 2016 campaign suggests a new approach in the offering. If anything, the never again approach is being reinforced with every news cycle. Yeah. Well, happy times. Yes. <laughs> the, yeah. Wasting money on stuff that doesn't work is something governments all over the world specialize in. 
They all do. You know, I mean, here's the thing. Terrorism is a fact of life. Yep. In the UK, that is normal. I mean... Well, we, 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 had, a few, we had a few years where it wasn't. But, yeah, we... we uh, I mean, except for people... The current crop of teenagers um, won't remember, you know, the IRA and oh, stuff right. like that. But, yep. yeah, anyone older... Yeah, I mean, yeah. As as said in the story, you know, several times a year you'd get this, uh, you know, a, ter a terrorist story, a big explosion or stuff like that. And Christ, it got bad enough in the UK that uh, Margaret Thatcher almost got taken out by a terrorist attack. I mean, well, I mean, <laughs> yeah. I'm sure there are people who wouldn't have cried at Thatcher's death, but no, but um, that that's how organised it was over here with terrorists. They almost yep. killed our prime minister, but so yeah. What what's going on now? Yeah, it's bad, but they're not quite as organised as the IRA were at their height. So yeah. Well, I mean, I mean, oh, the other one that you might not have heard about. Um, okay. The IRA also managed to land a mortar bomb in the back garden on number ten. It didn't go off, but no, I, I didn't they managed to mortar bomb number ten. That's that's impressive, actually. Uh huh. Uh, it is. I mean, that's you know, and that's basically that shit's a religious war. How the fuck do you fight that? Yeah. I mean that that is essentially what the IRA was about. Well, there's a little more kind complex. Kind of. I mean, there was more independence than Independence for, yeah. Right, but I they mean, want they want started. they want Northern Ireland to be part of Ireland, basically. Yeah. Mm, well, yeah. But in the north of Ireland, yeah, the Protestants are in the majority, and they all wanted to stay in the UK. So yeah. yeah, that was the reason why it was religious, basically. But it was down to. Yeah, we we've got this little <laughs> bit of Ireland that we. That, that we still got. <laughs> yeah. Oh, no. it's 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 possibly going to start kicking off again as well, because of the oh, Brexit. Oh, excellent. Jesus yeah. Well, yeah, but you voted for Brexit, but I don't see Brexit happening. Northern Ireland didn't vote for Brexit. No, Save I'm not Scotland, talking about that. You know, I'm, I'm talking yeah, about yeah. The, the Greater UK. I don't see it happening. Yeah, we'll see. No idea what's going to happen. Well, I mean, it wouldn't be a surprise if the politicians treat it like they treat other things. Right. Thank you for telling us your opinion, and we're going to go about business as usual. Yeah. They've done that before plenty of times, and that's but yeah, everywhere. I mean, but yeah, back, back to the terrorist thing. I mean, okay. yeah, you, you, your population eventually becomes... Um, hardened. Hardened, yeah. It's just like, oh, yeah, there's another attack. Oh, that's terrible few days of mourning and then back to work as normal. I mean, you must remember when there's the terrorist attack in London and the buses and tube got blown up. Mm -hmm. People were back to work the next day on the same bus service and the same tube line. Well, I mean... So it's like, again, oh, well, yeah, that, that's happened. Right back to work. Well, I mean, here's the thing. When I say it hardens people, that's what I mean. Yeah. People, they aren't hard in... To the fact that it's happening. Yeah, I mean, but it's probably are... it's probably because of the way the UK is that we haven't had more attacks, and it's mostly been France and 
um, Germany and the likes. Because, yeah, they didn't attack here. It was a quite a successful attack. And the country just went, oh my god, that's horrible. Right, uh, what are we doing tomorrow? <laughs> Working. Huh? But, I mean, that's how they don't win. Yep. I mean, that that is exactly it. When you carry on as much as you can, as normally as you can, they don't win. It's when you're paralyzed with fear, you're shitting your pants, basically, and you're crying like a little girl. Sorry, I'm a girl. I shouldn't say that. That they've won. They're not going to win if you can harden yourself to it. Well, yeah, it's, it's we, have a very, we have a very stoic nature in the UK because, yeah, <laughs> we have a history of uh, not having much luck. I mean, back, back as far as the Napoleonic Wars, I mean, the country mm-hmm. was in danger of being invaded by Napoleon, etc. I mean, from, you know, all through our history, it's like, oh, what's today's danger then? Uh, so, yeah, the people <laughs> get kind of, all right, World War Two. I mean, the Germans bombed the shit out of our cities. Mm-hmm. Yeah, people still go on with their daily lives. <laughs> Keep calm and carry on. Yep. That was the most effective bit of war propaganda ever. Literally. Like, you know, I have brooches that say it, yeah. for God's sake. I mean, it, it, it's still such an effective message. Keep calm and carry on as you normally would. I mean, but the reason it's effective is because it doesn't allow terrorist tactics to win. Well, I say, and the, the funniest one was, of course, the Glasgow airport attack. Right. Okay. The, <laughs> the, the, the baggage handler attacking the this. guy trying to blow up the bomb. It's like, yeah. <laughs> and, yeah, I mean, I. I've heard, you know, witness statements from the event. You know, this this four by four crashed into the front of the building, and I know the building right right next to the front doors. There's the little smoking area, like you have in mm-hmm. all airports, just right. outside the doors, little smoking section. Mm-hmm. And this this all happened, and the guys, you know, dragging people out of the Land Rover and pushing them on the ground and all this, and the smokers just stood there and kept smoking (laughs) terrorist attack ongoing it's like oh entertainment great as one of the Scottish comedians went it's like what nutbag and this was this that was still Al-Qaeda back then but it was like what nutbag in Al-Qaeda thought it was actually a good idea to attack Glasgow (laughs) it's like well I mean, and that's the difference. Like here, something bad happens and our politicians are, oh my God, you know, danger, danger, Will Robinson, basically um, running around. We've got to, we've got to appear to be doing something that does nothing and just makes everybody's life a living hell. Oh, oh, the latest one, actually. Uh, Mm -hmm. Yes. The British government, they're now going to apparently have special units in the high security prisons. And they're going to stick all the radicalized people in these special units so that they're not mixing with the general population. With each other? Yeah. With each other? Yeah. So they're just going to put all the crazy terrorists all in together and stop you them know, interacting with any of the other prisoners you know, and radicalizing here's the, anymore. Here's, here's the problem. 
here's the problem with the prison system in general. Yeah. A, a nice, normal car thief goes in, does a six-month stint, does it with people that are much worse criminals than himself, and comes out with ideas on how to be a better criminal. Yeah. Okay. Um, in the United States, we're very proud of the fact that our prison systems have high recidivism. We think it's just dandy, and we use that to make profit. So we're down with this. We're all kind of good with this. Well, you do need number plates and stuff, so, you know. Yeah, but we use it to manufacture slave goods, basically. Yeah, number plates, Um, army equipment. But it's not just that. It's not just that. They make all kinds of things. Oh, yeah. They make all kinds of things for all kinds of companies. So, you know, you never know where that made in USA labor (laughs) came from. Yeah, it's illegal but, uh, over here, funnily enough. Oh, no, we're, we're down with the poorhouses and all that yeah. nasty shit here, apparently. But, um, so they're going to take the radicalized terrorists mm-hmm. and house them with each other. Yes. And if they ever get out, they're going to have learned from the worst of the worst, radicalized terrorists, how to be a better terrorist. You know, there really is a problem with the Well, the, most, most of the ones we've caught aren't exactly brilliant, it must be said, so they won't be learning a lot that's useful. Uh, although, my, my instant thought, going back to a, a story that happened, you know, a couple of years back, uh, right. yeah, put them in a special unit. Sure, it's a really special unit. Put Mr. Bronson in there with him. Oh, God. Because some of them crazy. threatened to kill him because he stopped being a Muslim. But, yeah, but he's also the kind of person... He'll can... kill them all, yeah. <laughs> he could pick you up by your nose and rip you in half. He's not oh, he's yeah. not a patient man. This is a man while on psychiatric medication and sedatives managed to kill somebody. <laughs> I mean, you know. But he, he, just... he, he started... He had a relationship with a Muslim woman converted to Islam. Mm-hmm. Then got well. You you know his story. He's actually incredibly intelligent, incredibly smart, mm-hmm. etc. Right. Just likes being violent. Um, yeah. uh, and when the relationship didn't work out, he he basically oh, switched back. He's like, oh, well, I won't bother with that anymore. And yeah, yeah, a couple of the crazy fucking Muslim terrorists we've got over here were like, we'll we will we will kill him from for turning from Islam. And you're like, good luck oh, with that. <laughs> He's the most dangerous guy possibly in any prison in the world. Um, <laughs> I no, actually, your your idea isn't so bad. But like yeah. I said, I mean, he could pick you up by your nose and rip you in half. I I'm never been so happy. I was never in prison. <laughs> oh yeah, I mean, it, when you hear him talked about, you know, all, all the guards treat him with respect because as long as they, as long as they're not nasty or objectionable to him he's fine he all he 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 doesn't like being disrespected that's that's the big one right i don't know if you call that fine (laughs) but i do know what you're saying um yeah no it's 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 the same with some criminals here don't disrespect me Uh, people should watch the film bronson it's tom hardy Brilliant He's film. He's an interesting fellow. Oh, yeah. I mean, he does poetry and art and all sorts of stuff. He's incredibly intelligent. 
He's just yeah. fucking nuts. Um, but he nuts in a very sane way. He, he comes unhinged uh, in a very different manner. Yeah, well, he's he's not insane in the classic sense. He's completely logical about everything he does. It's just the outcomes are usually of a incredibly breaking people nature. Um, <laughs> yeah, um, but I, I can I can see that. I'm just saying. I, I think generally oh, yeah. St speaking, stick all the, our terrorists in with him. See how long. See how see how good they are at violence after they've been around him for a while. Um, <laughs> you know, we we stick all our we stick all our terrorists apparently off the coast of Cuba. And that has but, not worked But out didn't well. didn't didn't you have a president who said he was gonna close it, I believe? We did. We yeah. did, but he was also gonna stop the ocean from rising too. Yeah. Oh but so, I will no, say no. all the British prisoners have now been let out. Yeah, well. And I believe uh, a couple of them are suing your government over it. But yeah. Well you know. We, we also have that nifty rule that makes it very hard for American citizens to sue their government. Fucking well, see, that, that's the good one. They're, these ones are British <laughs> citizens, and they're suing your government. So, I know. Yeah. So it'll, yeah, have to go, I mean, it'll have to go off to The Hague to be heard. So, yeah. Well, and then the world will know, and that's not a bad Anytime you can force the cockroaches in whatever form they're in into the light, it's always a good thing. Yeah. More people that know what's going on and who's doing what, the better. Because then you're not having the wool pulled over your eyes and you're not making decisions blind. Yeah. That's that's about the the best thing for all of that coming out. I mean, now we've had people released from Guantanamo. I mean, I don't know if anybody's read the Guantanamo diaries. I'm aware okay, of them. So, so like, I'm the only weirdo who reads any of this shit. No, but I, I've seen the stuff from the British people who were released. So, yeah, I mean, yeah. Um, but it took forever to get that book released, and you still didn't really get to read anything because my government censored it. Yep. So much. Well, that's what that's, you should look up the the stuff on the the British guys that were released because obviously that hasn't been censored by the American no, government because it was published it over here. So I mean yeah. no no and I've gotta say the Guardian. Yeah. The Guardian does good reporting on that sort of thing. Because um, yeah I mean Guardian... there's a there's a guy who he'd thought about becoming a terrorist ended up in Guantanamo. I mean he's like I've definitely been radicalized now and he admits that. <laughs> Yeah. He's like, I hate and, America. <laughs> well, because they took I mean, you know six years of his life or whatever, just because you know he I once think, asked somebody a couple of questions. I mean, I think here's the thing: people make the mistake of thinking their government would never, or their government is the good guy. Yeah, that's not true. You know what they're doing to you, just with let's say e-cigarette legislation. You know what the Democratic Party did to Bernie Sanders, who by rights probably should have been the next president of the United States. Whether I like that or agree with it or not is inconsequential. Sheer numbers really should tell the story. Um, if you know that they've done these things, 
why do you suppose that they treat people they declare our enemies any fairer than they treat us because they don't hmm. by the way now, we're people, getting to eight minutes now that's fine people have asked me how, how did you go from libertarianism to whatever it is i am now um uh, i'm anti-naniest uh you know a, a follower of spooner i guess uh, a subscriber to the ideas of, of Lysander Spooner um, is simply because for as long as I can remember I would watch C-SPAN and there was a politician who told me the truth about my government and he told the truth consistently and it forced me to look at what my government did not only in other countries but to the people here and it forced me to examine whether I live free or not I don't I'm against slavery in any form, uh, no matter what form it takes. So that would make Spooner a perfect person to follow. Love that guy. What can I say? He was he was ahead of his time. That's why I'm voting for him, even though he's dead. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if there's anything else to say. Oh, really? No. Muppets. Edward? Okay. Why do we always come here? I guess we'll never know. It's like a kind of torture to have to watch the show. Oops. <laughs> Why spend one. hours searching for in-stock ammunition when you can use AmmoSeek.com? AmmoSeek.com is a search engine for finding ammunition, reloading components, magazines, and guns for more than 300 calibers at more than 60 online retailers. AmmoSeek.com only shows items that are in stock and readily available for shipping. You can search by caliber, grains, manufacturer, and more. The results are displayed by cost per round, so you are able to get the very best pricing on your ammunition of choice. Find ammunition at the best prices fast. AmmoSeek.com. Thanks for listening, guys. See you next week.